Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. Hey now, I'm an all-star and your host, Rod, and I'm joined by... <laughs> You're not my real dad, Jess. <laughs> Also, I wrote down here, my handwriting is real bad. It says, you're not my real dad. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I was debating which one I was going to go with. Oh, say it in a Canadian voice. Whiny Canadian. You're not my real... I can't. He's... I, I, I can't. Oh, <laughs> anyway, if you're new to the show, let us explain. So Jess and I, we talk movies, music, and TV. Today, it's a movie episode. Yeah. And we are talking about the movies of 2001. So what we have done is we have looked at a list of every movie released in the year 2001, and we decided which one each of us had watched the most in our lives. Yeah. Um, we're 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 getting to the point where I am aging out of children's films. I'm so happy. But uh, still another another children's film for me. I'm less uh, Je- happy. By this point, Jess has aged out of children's film and is now watching hard R's for some reason. When what when was my children's films? What children's films like, did like, I ever we're watch? We're watching Mary Kate and Ashley. Oh, that's fair. House arrest. <laughs> yeah, now now fair. we're in hard R. Like this is the hardest <laughs> R we're gonna watch for a while. <laughs> is it? Yes. That's fair. Okay, we just watched Romeo and Michelle. Wasn't that a hard R? Not really. There was a you, lot of you R's. You cut out you cut out a few F words and it's PG thirteen. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, no, this is like this is an adult <laughs> movie for adults. It's a drama. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into her movie in just a second. Uh, but it is a new year. It is 2001. Where were you in the year 2001? The seventh grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. Middle school. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been in middle school. Yes, I've yeah. been in middle school for at least one year. Oh, well, okay. You know, it's different in some places. And actually... For, for me, a seventh and eighth grade were middle school. And that was it. Yeah. Um, the year before, when I was in fourth grade, uh, my middle school had... K through six, and when I was in fourth grade, they got rid of six, so I only had to do fifth there. And oh. then I went up to six, and I was like, "Yeah, get me out of this uniform school <laughs> with all the people that hate me." My middle school experience was pretty rough. Was was it the same for you, seventh grade? I can't remember most of it, yeah, so you're better off that way. <laughs> so obviously, uh, two thousand one uh, saw some. <laughs> it is home to a horrible national tragedy. That happened. Uh, and we haven't forgotten. We, we, we won't. We won't forget that. <laughs> but that withstanding, 2001 was actually a pretty, like, important big year for me. A lot of stuff happened. Mm, personally. Um, yeah, like, for me personally. It was like, uh, I, I, did base, I did baseball, Little League, mm-hmm. for one season early 2001, and I hated it. <laughs> hated it. It was horrible, and it said, okay, no team sports ever again. So, yep. Uh, that That's was... why he only does golf now. <laughs> uh, or, or no sports. <laughs> I did martial. I was still in martial arts. Or yeah. But yeah, that was a horrible experience. They put me in like the outfield. So I just stood in the cold and did nothing. I was like, isn't that they say? They say like left field or whatever is like the worst. Like, oh, I don't it, know. It's where you put the worst player. Oh, I don't know. I did basketball and swimming. <laughs> Because, like, whatever side of the outfield, the balls don't go to. That's where they put me. Aww. Yeah. So that was bad. Um, I, at the end, this was the end of third grade. Um, mm-hmm. I started realizing that I couldn't see. <laughs> oh. I got glasses summer 2001. Your eyes decided, nah, it's too out hard out here. Really, we were sitting, we would be sitting at our desks in school, and the teacher would be writing something on the whiteboard, and I couldn't see it. So I had to sit on the floor in front of the whiteboard to take notes. As a third grader, it's so cute. Yeah, yeah. So that that was that was a big year. I got glasses, and 
the summer of 2001, we went, we drove from Southern California to Washington State to pick up my older sister, and she came down to live with us. So mm. that honestly, like the, the my childhood is kind of like segmented right here huh. from the summer of 2001 because like the dynamic of the family changed, and like that was like you know it was obviously a new millennium, right? So mm -hmm. like I think of the early 2000s as its own thing starting here because uh, it had its own flavor. Yeah. You know, because it was like, you know, my, my older sister's living with us. Um, I'm encountering a lot more MTV <laughs> and um, like music of the time in 2001. So I was a lot more pop culture aware in 2001 than I had been as mm -hmm. a child. So right here, my ch the second half of my childhood begins. I'm not going to lie. The way you explained that sounded like uh, a Lifetime movie I would watch. Just something called The Summer of 2001. Um, but everybody knows how that ends. <laughs> But just like the the idea that you're like, oh, I'm just a kid. I'm sure that's a song sitting on the ground. And then <clears throat> my sister's here and it's the summer and dealing with a moody teen, but also moody teen music. And I'm not, I don't like music she or maybe a, I she do. She wasn't a moody teen. She was in her 20s. Oh, yeah. You were the moody teen. I would be a moody teen eventually. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she was an adult. She I'm was, sorry. She was just living with us, going back to school. So 20s is still teens. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> hey, kids, yeah. are you in your 20s? You're a kid for a reason. So that was my 2001. And then I went to fourth grade and uh, something crazy happened in September. It may it may we may talk about it as we talk about it, these 2001 shows and then subsequent years of media. Made yeah, because it affects the next decade of media. Correct. <laughs> but we don't have to dwell on that now. Let's, let's talk about something happy. My about, movie of 2001. <laughs> let's talk about another sad thing. <laughs> One of us is wrong here. Jess's movie of 2001. Woo woo! Come on, kids! Released October 26, 2001. <laughs> After September. <laughs> Wake Writ me up. <laughs> when September. Written by Mark Andrews. Directed by Erwin Winkler. Starring Kevin Kline, Kristen Scott Thomas, Jenna Malone, Mary Steenburgen, and Hayden Christensen. Ooh. That is Life as a House. I have hated this house from the moment my father put it in my name. 25 years of hating what you live in, hating what you are. This is an end of it, Sam. I'm going to build something of my own. Something I can be proud to give you. Don't. I don't want it. Fine. You can do whatever you want with it. All I want is for you to remember that we built a house together. We haven't built shit. You're just tearing your father down. Try it. Feels good. Such a good line. She, yeah, I was like, that's a, that's a great line, a very crucial scene in the movie. Oh. But I was like, it sells the idea and the themes of this movie more than anything. Yeah. Because explain, what, what is life as a house? And why did you watch it so much? <laughs> but first, what is it? <laughs> life as a house is a movie about a man uh, realizing he's coming to the end of his life, taking stock of what is there, and finding it wanting. And so in the last few months, few months of his life, he decides that he's going to do some do the things he's always put off for later, realizing that now later is here and he is going to tear down the house, his childhood house. Ugh. He's an architect and he's going to tear down the childhood house that he grew up in because he hates it and build the dream he always wanted. And in the same time, he's going to reconnect with his estranged son as him and his wife have been divorced for like 10 years at this point. Uh, and she's in a new marriage with a new man, with uh, other kids as well, still taking care of his kid as well. 
And he's just, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build this house. I'm going to build my relationship with my son. And that's how I'm going to end my life. Yeah, you, the, the house, it's a metaphor, you see. <laughs> it, you know, it's it, it it's light, a meaty four. Yeah, yeah. He's tearing down the old house, the the run down, horrible relationships that he's left. You know, memories of his father. Yeah. Uh, just the, the dysfunction and the, the, the stagnation of his life mm-hmm. up to that point. And he's building something new with a firmer foundation. Doesn't this movie sound great, guys? I was like, it's a solid idea. Great concepts. It's so good. And, and the scenes that deal directly with that theme, pretty good. Like, yeah. Pretty, pretty good. And I feel the way that you're like explaining it may think, may people think, people may think, Oh, it's a Christian. Nope. Nope. No. Nope. No, it's not. No, it's not. Don't go in. Think. I was like, yeah, there Jesus. was a curse. He cursed in that clip. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even hear it. But like, it's it's about something that I think we all feel as human beings. And I don't want to say just at the end of our lives. I feel like once you start to really like form dreams and, uh, and goals for yourself, which you could be as young as four in some very precocious people. And sometimes it's like middle school or high school where you're like, I don't know, you know, like I want something, I expect something of myself and I want to be able to do that. And this is about, I mean, you know, there's some privilege in the, the wealth of these characters, right? But like putting your hands to the thing to make it yours. And it's just a wonderful concept and a great movie. And I think like- You you jump straight into the deep end with the themes here. (laughs) My bad, I'm so sorry. We're gonna talk about it more, but I think like, because I wanted to answer your question, like why did you watch it so much? That's the reason, like it's like for all the like corny stuff and the wonderful acting and the direction choices that we'll get to, it's like that theme like resonating. I'm like, let's be honest. Middle school me can't remember much of it, and there's a reason. And here we are. It's 2001, and this is the thing that resonated with me most. Yeah, it's like I ask, why did you watch this so much? Because if I was an adult, I would not let my seventh grade daughter watch this movie. It's very inappropriate. Yeah, well, there are a lot of scenes in here, and I'm just like, no, no. I mean, that's fair, but in my parents' you know defense. My dad had been had gone off to war for some reason, oh. and my mother was a single mother raising three children, having to go back to work when she wasn't working before. So really, it's no one's fault but Directv. Go back to war for some reason. Oh man, we're not talking about. I was like, this wait, episode. we really are just putting it right here. Like, I just, it was like, I like if you're gonna ask, why did you watch something? Because I didn't have supervision, and that is not my parents' fault. Nine eleven ruined everything. <laughs> Back to Thumbelina. 9-11 has ruined everything. Oh now my. it's dark. No oh September. No. Oh, my goodness. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, kids. Just one other thing you made me think of. It's like, honestly, if with just like a revision of the script, this could have been like a Christian network oh, yeah. movie. You know, one of those like cheap, like if it had lower, but like a lower budget, lower production values <laughs> in a revision of the script, this is totally just a... Christian redemption movie. Tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. hundred percent. They didn't build the house in three days, but (laughs) that's, that's funny. Cause like, you know, like you, you catch some of those like cheese, even on YouTube, they like make fun of those like bad Christian movies, you Mm -hmm. know, like the Christian network, like feel good movies. Right. And they're all the same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they are. Yeah. So this, I was like, yeah, this movie gives me a little bit of those vibes, but it's just, it's more professionally done than that. Which is why I love it. Oh man, but uh, let's let's talk about how this movie was made. Where did it come from? Who who made this movie? Cotton Eye Joe. 
1993. Up-and-coming Hollywood screenwriter Mark Andrews wrote a screenplay titled Old Friends about, quote, the vilest man in New York who lives opposite a gay artist. Does that sound familiar to you? Say that again? The vilest man in New York who lives opposite a gay artist. I've seen pits of that. What was the title of it? Here we go. Andrews, a graduate of University of Southern California and University of California Riverside before that, had only one other professional writing credit to his name by this point, 1991's Late for Dinner. Uh, Before we get into what Old Friends became, because they made that movie, Mm -hmm. um, his story is very interesting. One, California Riverside, uh, shout out to... Our hometown. Yeah. My hometown. Your hometown. Like, literally, we live 10 minutes from that university. <laughs> um, it was really interesting to learn this guy, how this guy became a screenwriter. Mm. He went to UCR for business. That sounds And he got his bachelor's in business wow. at the business school. Good job. And he was applying to graduate schools and waiting for responses back. So he had a free summer. So mm. he decided to take a screenwriting course at his, at his university okay. to, just for fun, right? There he impressed the instructor, Tomas Rivera, who they named the library after that man at the university. And that is the namesake of my elementary school. (laughs) So You impressed a man who has many buildings. Yeah, a lot lot of connections there. He impressed his his instructor so much that his instructor said, You should write you should become a professional writer. Hmm. You should write a screenplay. And he he fell in love with screenwriting. And, and made a business of it. Yeah, yeah. He made a, made a life. All right. So very interesting story. A lot of connections. Yeah. Anyway, though Old Friends initially generated a lot of interest in Hollywood, drawing the attentions of big names like actors Kevin Klein, mm-hmm. star of Life is a House. Yes. Ralph Fiennes and Holly Hunter and producer Laura Ziskin, the project lay dormant for nearly three years until esteemed writer-director-producer James L. Brooks got involved. Hmm. Now, James L. Brooks is like, a big heavyweight in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, I know him most as like involved with The Simpsons. I think he's a co-creator of The Simpsons. Okay, um, but he he has a lot of movies like to his name. Like he's he's a he's a big deal. Brooks rewrote the screenplay alongside Andrews and the film, now titled "As Good as It Gets." Yeah, yeah. Starring Jack Nicholson and Greg Kinnear. Yep. Released in 1997. Yes. Yeah. As good as it gets. So if the guy who wrote "As Good as It Gets" wrote. Life is a house. house. Okay. Yeah, as good as I couldn't finish I didn't finish watching as good as it get got you got as soon good. Ooh, I didn't finish watching as good as it gets because the scene where he the gay man gets like beaten nearly to death and robbed, I was like, I'm not here for this. I don't care what the happy story is on the other end. I'm mad about this. I'm mad about this. We watched this we watched at least part of this movie in psychology class in high school. As good as it gets. It was rough. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it being rough. I feel like as, it was probably up my alley, but I think it was too much. I don't really like hate crimes, especially when they come from people that you thought you were, were your friends. Like, I was like, no, nah, this isn't for me. Anyway, you may continue your history. As Good As It Gets was a commercial and critical success, even earning Andrews and Brooks a Writers Guild of America Best Original Screenplay Award. That's my And word. nominations at the Academy Awards and Golden Globes. Did so, you? yeah. This comes Got from that. Academy Award nominated screenwriter Mark Andrews. (laughs) Partly due to the success of As Good As It Gets, Andrews' next script wouldn't see any production delays at all. He, alongside legendary film producer Erwin Winkler, known for Rocky, Raging Bull, The Right Stuff, and Goodfellas, among many others. I've only seen The Goodfellas because you've made me. The rest of them I've never seen. 
pitched a single paragraph idea to a Columbia executive over lunch. Andrews recalled, quote, nothing in my career has been easier than that movie. They let me go write it based on that paragraph idea. So. Dang. Yep. The screenplay, titled Life is a House, entered production in November 2000 with Winkler directing. Kevin Klein and Kristen Scott Thomas were cast in the film's leads alongside a relatively unknown Canadian actor named Hayden Christensen. Hayden! Christensen, aged 19, had just been cast as Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars Episode II Attack of the Clones. He's so a baby. He had been cast, but they had not started filming yet. Hmm. When they he was cast in this movie, okay. But part of me feels like he filmed, he might have filmed Life as a House after filming for Star Wars, because Star Wars like the production cycle is so long, mm-hmm. like like post production so long. So part of me feels like it's like he did this out of order. Oh yeah, or they came out of order. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I'm I'm sure Life as a House like took didn't take very long to finish. Yeah, editing. I assume for some reason I like I think. They took like three months to shoot this movie, right? So, something like that. Yeah, uh, and that's that's life as a house. All right, not not too not too busy, just not a, too shabby. Yeah, just just a like a nice dr- house, a dream team of of creatives. I love when my movies have like no issues. It happens so often. Well, your movie has issues. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Your movie has issues, <laughs> but uh, most of the people involved here, it's not their fault. Maybe mm. Mark Andrews a little bit, but we'll get to him. He also did great job. Good very, job, Mark. It's a very uneven movie, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think upon I think it's interesting, like watching some of my favorite movies with you, uh, especially as I it's been a while since I watched them again. I've given them a rewatch, and so there's always the nostalgia that's wrapped up in them. I can definitely take time to be like, mm, yeah, that wasn't so good. You know, unless I want to fight you, in which case it's the best thing ever made. Practical Magic has no issues whatsoever. <laughs> There's more issues in this movie. <laughs> that's for sure. All right. So let's talk about Life is a House. All right. Hey, kids, before we get in, get into this. If you didn't read the tags, because I know I don't always read the tags in podcasts, I want you to know that this section we will be talking about uh, loss of a parent and cancer. If those things are triggering to you, maybe skip this episode or if we start talking about uh because we're not going to have a time stamp. If we start talking about um, <clears throat> George and his sickness, maybe take stock of yourself and see if this is something that you can hang on, hang in on. Or, or just skip ahead to the second segment. Yes. Things will be less uh, heavy. Yes. So if you decide you don't want to listen to the first portion and you want to skip ahead to the second segment, you can just skip ahead to... One hour, 44 minutes, 38 seconds. Or we have put the timestamp below in the show notes. So first things first, we've got to meet our main character, George, played by Kevin Klein. George. So uh, G- George is, as you said, an architect. Not a McFly. No. And uh, he's, how, how would you describe George? Oh my gosh. I, all I have is pictured in my head is George McFly right now. Hold on. Hold on. Scruffy on the edge of middle-aged, the other edge. <laughs> um, he's like this just listless man. Yeah, yeah, he's very a wanderer that I am, you know? <laughs> but not like... Like, he, you can see like maybe 15 years ago, he was a mild-mannered architect, you know? Like clean-cut, yeah. normal. Now he's just given up. Yeah. Like he, he doesn't shave. He goes to work. Like, he, he's like, he's wearing like a, <laughs> like ugly, like barely a tie. 
yeah, he's really just not here for it. Like he, he doesn't show, he's not present for his life. You can see that he shows up, but he's not present for any portion of the, of his life that you see in the first half of the first act. What do you want, George? Beg your pardon? How much weight have you lost? Oh, I don't know. Uh, five, 10 pounds. Haven't been very hungry. How's your wife? Well, um, when we divorced a decade ago, she was very, very angry. Now she's just hostile. Yep, he is also divorced. Lives alone in a ramshackle house, a house on the edge of a on the edge of a cliff. Yeah, a house full of ghosts of memories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the 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 whole like most of the movie takes place like on the side of this house, and it's. Just this shack, I guess, his dad built years ago. Yeah. Um, and the, the the neighborhood around the shack has become this like palatial estate. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's this beautiful, beautiful neighborhood of a bunch of rich folk who yep. all built McMansions on a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got in early. That's their land. They own it completely. Yeah. It's just these rich jerks who hate who who just resent George for living so close to them in his ugly house. Yeah. And he like you know. His his constant public urination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's watching him in this, right? Like he he also just doesn't care. He's very flippant about it. Just kind of like, yep, uh huh, and you know, which you know, a little bit I appreciate that because they're really trying to gentrify and push him out, but can't. <laughs> yeah, calling the city like you got to get this house. Like, well, he, he's he's obeying all the rules. Yeah, he's following all the rules. We can't just kick him out. They hate him. Um, and 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 then life. Life comes at George fast uh, when a few, like basically he has like the worst day ever. Yeah. What, what happens to George? So he goes in to work. He is old school, right? So at this point, we're all using highfalutin technology. <laughs> Microsoft 95 computers, <laughs> maybe even X, XP. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But they're using it to, to model and to um, make uh, buildings for clients in a in a 3D space. That's not what it is. However you call it, digital, digital, get down. That's what this company's all about. And he's gluing glass to cardboard. He's like still building them up by hand, piece by piece. And that takes what, what on the computer you could do in hours or a day at most takes him weeks. And he's not moving forward. This is his craft, which I totally get, right? I totally get doing things by hand. Um, but... Uh, I also understand that uh, when you run a company, that's too much time, and so he gets fired. <laughs> I did tell you, didn't I, that I would be ready to start the Berlin model today. Okay. George, this is, this is not me. Uh, we can show clients endless options. We can change anything, really, in, in a matter of hours on the computer, but, uh, but you won't change. I've been here 20 years. Maybe that's maybe that's too long. So it's it's, it's stagnation. Yeah, you know, it's like you you don't move you don't advance you don't move forward. Like he's a he he just like has nothing to live for. Like he has yeah. nothing to improve on. You know, it's just like he doesn't want to progress. Yeah, and even in that scene, right, like a little bit farther, he says, you know, I've hated this job every day of my life, every day that I've been here, and like this is he he's been there twenty years. So it's not just like, oh, I've lost luster for life. Like he's never chosen for himself. 
like, well, I'm good at this and I can make money, right? Like there are things that you and I are good at that we will never make a career out of because we're like, nah, that would kill my joy immediately. I love cooking. I would never open up a restaurant. <laughs> never. Are you kidding me? No. Um, because I would not like cooking and I love food too much to do that. Like he clearly likes building models. He clearly likes dreaming up houses. He clearly even though that's not how it works in real life, like knows how to build with his hand and can build a whole house. So maybe he should have gone into construction. Maybe he should have been a foreman or something like that. But this is where the money is to take care of his family. This is what he put himself into and he's hated it. He's unfulfilled. Yeah, despite all the things he's choosing for himself. They decided on a week, a year severance, but I got him to 26, okay? You can learn all you need to on the computer long before that. You can maybe, you can maybe even find a job closer to home. George, what are you talking about? You love your job. Nope. From the day I started to today. Can't stand it. Well, good. Then it sounds like I'm doing you a favor. Uh, that, that, it, I hadn't planned to talk about it, but that is a big... That was a, a very common theme. Late 90s, early 2000s. You know? Mm. <laughs> before 9-11. <sighs> uh, which was like this white angst. You know? Middle, <laughs> middle class angst. You know, where uh, I think of like Office Space mm -hmm. or uh, American Beauty, where it's just like these middle class, middle aged white dudes who were just so unfulfilled with their lives. Yeah. You know, it's not just not just men. Like, I think it's just like calm. It just um, just a middle class angst and ennui where we're just like we're unfulfilled. Automation is pushing us out. The digital revolution is, you know, here. It's mm -hmm. here. Uh, the future is uncertain. Um, we have all this money and, you know, uh, we have products, you know, right. even Fight Club. It's like, it's like, I have all this stuff that I get out of catalogs, but I have, it doesn't bring me any joy or fulfillment. Yeah. You know, it's like, I have, what is my life? What's my purpose? Right. It, so it falls right into that canon. Mm -hmm. The pitfalls of capitalist society. Yeah. Like, <laughs> especially like the, 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 <laughs> the pinnacle of society, 1999. Yeah. <laughs> Before the tech bubble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think like, no, you're totally right. I think, it, but I also think it's just thinking through like the that theme and looking at where we are now, twenty years. Uh huh. Twenty years later, I'm great at math. <laughs> um, yeah, like we're middle class. Do I feel ennui all the freaking time? Do I hate my job? No, <laughs> I would leave it. But um, like the the same kind of idea of just like, okay, well, I'm doing this because I have to, like, to live. I've got to work and I've got to find something that's going to pay me enough to live in whatever state I live in uh, or whatever country I live in. But that, you know, like surviving and living are two different things. And he's barely surviving. Yeah. But so anyway, he gets fired. Yes. And, and his bad day is not over yet. What happens to George? He doesn't get to take his trinkets home. Well, he, he, he wants, yeah, he like wants to take some like sentimental models that he built yeah. home with him and his boss won't let him. So he, you should definitely watch that scene. We're not going to tell you what happens. He trashes the place. Well, never mind. We told you what happens. <laughs> and what happens when he leaves? Uh, he has a mild heart attack <laughs> or seizure. He like collapses on the ground outside of his building. Yeah. You know, the stress of getting fired has, you know, caused him to like collapse. And we learn that he is dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And he has like 
two months, months to live. Yeah, he, so. they didn't even give him. I'm, I'm he, he, I, I have a clip. He'll say it because okay. a nurse comes in to talk to him. But I'll play that in just a second. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> I'm like trying to. Th- this is a trope. Like this is you know main character learns that they're dying of cancer and mm-hmm. you know they have a new outlook on life. You know, it, yeah, it, it rocks them to the core. It's yeah. like what am I living for? Here's the moment. Like this is where you know uh, the the diamond is refined by fire. You know. What would you do if you had three or four months to live? Um, I'd eat a lot of red meat. <laughs> Good for you. What would you do? Build a house. No one's really said that four months is all you have, have they? Nobody's even uh, pretended to offer treatment. So you tell me, when would you start to... Uh, Eating red meat. Can you build a house in four months? I can die trying. So yeah, I mean, it, this is a trope where mm-hmm. main character learns that they have four months to live, right? And at that point in time, it's a, what are my priorities? Mm-hmm. Like, what do I want to get done in the last few months of my life? Yeah. Um, it's real. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely real for people. Yeah. I was like, I've I've been unfortunate. I've had the unfortunate, you know, uh, opportunity to to know people who were diagnosed with cancer and knew they only had a few months to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see what they chose to do at that time is 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 profound. You know, yeah. it's like I remember one of our like, I wasn't super close to this guy, but I, I knew him, you know, well enough, and we had mutual friends, and like, you know, I, I knew him as a very like kind-hearted person, mm-hmm. you know, and like. He spent the last few months of his life just connecting with random people like on the street. Like he would just go to like go to supermarkets and say, hey, you know, like just like encourage and be kind to people in the the supermarket that he didn't know, like the cashiers, mm-hmm. just because he knew it's like that's the legacy I want to le- leave behind, you know? Yeah. Just kindness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's you're right. Like the few people that I've known that have been very aware of the time they have left all of them have chosen differently and all of them have been you know like like profound there's none there's no i i wouldn't believe i don't think there's a way to like be in that position and choose something and someone being like well you're wasting the last bit of your life like that you cognitively have decided this and i think like what we'll see you know like one of those choices right like for people in general is like who you tell and who you don't. Yeah. Or who, who you want to spend the last few months of your life with. Like, who do you want to invest in? Right. Yeah. You know, like I've, I've known people who, who had passed away from cancer. It's like, you know, they, uh, they had kids. I think they had grandkids and it's like, I'm going to invest in my kids and grandkids. Like yeah. that's, that's what, that's like, what this that, is. That's for. my priority. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I need to spend as much time with them as possible. Uh, so good stuff here with George, you know, yeah. Uh, th- I want to play another clip from the the end of that conversation with the nurse mm-hmm. uh, because I, I feel like this is another like eye opening mo- moment for him. Mm-hmm. You've not been touched in years. Really? No. I mean, I'm not a friend. Your your mother. I mean, people have to be touched. Everyone gets touched by somebody they love. I know. It's weird, isn't it? I know my son, when he was younger, 10 or 11 even, he used to run up and throw his arms around me. 
so yeah, like the, the nurse, like, you know, kind of like, you know, rubs his head or something like that, you know, just to like give him comfort. And mm-hmm. he's like, no one's like touched me, you know, and, and yeah. just like, you know, just a, a tender way in, in years. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, one, I relate to that because I feel like, you know, sometimes you realize, oh man, you know, I've never had like a hug, you know, like there For were points in my life. It's like, yeah, I, I, no one's hugged me in, in like however long, you know, and like, mm-hmm. you know, that affects people. Yeah, like, there's there's like, like there's some kind of like human need for some kind of like just physical contact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely like loving comfort, you know, from other people. Uh, but it just goes to show show how how empty George is, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I, I haven't had like I'm so distant from everyone in my life that it's like I, I haven't even been touched by anyone, you know. Like no hug, no high five, no pat on the back. It's yeah. like I am like I am an empty shell of a man, yeah. you know. And like the old. I think that scene is meant to say it's like when was the last time you touched anybody? It's like the last time I can remember is when my son, who was you know a child, would hug me. Yeah, I think like it, it shines a light on how truly apathetic he has become. That he doesn't, you know, like not just like oh I don't need it, but just like I'm not even considering it until it's here and being like, oh man, like that's what I'm missing. That's what, and it's so incredibly sad. Yep, it's so incredibly sad because I think. Right, like on a, a very nature-based thing, we as humans are like pack animals <laughs> for less, for lack of a better word. And in even if you're like, I prefer to be alone, like a handhold, a touch on your shoulder, something to like have some kind of connection. Being like, hey, I know it's hard out there and you are lonely, but you're not necessarily alone. Like, and to not have that, even like I'm an extreme introvert. I do, phew, people tire me out. <laughs> But even I, right? Like, I need that, like, some kind of connection. And I think that's what that 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 is another one of those like revelations that George has. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm about to die. I need to readjust my priorities. It's like I need to really invest in the most important things in my last year. It's like I'm gonna build this house because it's un you know un uh, it's unfinished business in my life. You know, it's like I need to reconcile this for myself, but also I think I need to like reconcile with my family. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the plan. Yeah. So when he's when his ex-wife comes to pick him up from the hospital uh, the next day, he reveals the plan. You're the most beautiful woman I have ever known. What? I don't mean just physically. Even your anger is perfect. Where have you been for a week? Four days. I have to talk to you. Why would they tow your truck? I'm going to tear down the shack and build the house. Oh. You've been saying that for 20 years while we were dating, you said it. Well, now there's nothing to stop me. Oh, money? Severance pay. And I'm going to cash in my life insurance policy. Where will you live? In the garage. So that's what he's going to do. And he doesn't tell her. Nope. That's a very important caveat right there. Like... I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm not telling you the reasons behind it. I'm not even telling you why I was fired. What, why do you have severance pay? What do you mean? Yeah, it's like, where have you been? He doesn't say anything. Nope, just doesn't answer anything. And then that that's kind of a testament to like what their marriage was, that she doesn't even continue. She's like, he's not, if he didn't answer, he's not going to yeah. answer. And I don't have time for this. I, whatever. Yeah, she's he's like, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever met. And she's like, this woman is married to another man. Yep. Has children with this other guy. It's yep, like, yep. you were here. Uh, but that that's not the end of the plan. He, he reveals a bit more. Look, I wasn't serious about you taking Sam, so you don't have to get into any actual construction to get out of it. 
When does school let out? Friday. Tomorrow. Oh, God. I hate the thought of him home all day. I'll be by Saturday to pick him up. He doesn't want to spend the weekends with you anymore. Not for the weekend. For the summer. One of you would end up dead. Yeah, but at least we have a house to show for it. Forget it, really. I'll survive. I want him with me. No, you don't. Trust me. I want Sam. For the summer. Okay. And that's the plan. He's going to build the house. Metaphorically, he's going to rebuild the relationship with his son. <laughs> and his family. The and house is the family. <laughs> the play is the thing. Uh, just real quick. This is probably a mom thing. But the like, oh, I can't stand the thought of him being home all summer. I'm like, okay. That's a little rude. Well, because it was honest. But I'm not a mother of a of a moody teenager so well we'll meet sam in here just a minute and you'll you'll understand why she feels that way by the way uh the, the ex-wife her name is robin so that's when we say robin that's what we're talking about mm -hmm. <laughs> beautiful the, beautiful robin but george here he's experiencing something we have not talked about for a few years on media made oh no but what does he have dad guilt dad guilt <laughs> it's back and with a vengeance <laughs> I think this might be the last of the like the dad guilt era, you know, like yeah. the last decade of like the 90s has been, you know, baby boomer parents realizing that they didn't spend enough time with their kids. And now they're trying to rebuild the relationship. Mm -hmm. Dad guilt. Here it is. Dead guilt. Cut it. <laughs> this is late stage dad guilt. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's meet his son. <clears throat> let's meet Sam. I'm so excited. Isn't Sam your favorite character? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's my favorite. He sure guy. is something. He sure is something. What are you doing in my room? <laughs> I didn't go in your room. I locked the door. Get out. <laughs> Why? What do you think? I'm stupid. I locked the door. This is my room. You have no right here. This is mine. Stupid. Why can't you all just die and leave me alone? And so mad that's the clip you used after I said, I love Sam. What are you doing in my room? He's overly <laughs> critical. He doesn't listen. He doesn't understand. Stop it. I killed him. <laughs> I killed them all. No, Anakin. I, I, hold, I was going to say, Hayden Christensen is good at this. Like, hey, this Christian is what is. he's good at. Yes. So there's people complain. It's like, oh, Anakin Skywalker is such a whiny baby. And it's like, because that's what Chris, that's what. <laughs> Hayden Christensen is good at. He is really good at it. And it's perfect for this role where he's meant to be a whiny teenager. He, yep. And he is, he's whiny. He nails it. Nails he nails it. this part. He's so whiny. Oh my gosh. And just like, just. And believable. Irritating. And yeah. believable. Yeah. Uh, so describe Sam for us. You know, Tall. Marilyn Manson posters everywhere. He loves Marilyn Manson. Way He's too many posters of Marilyn. Ma oh, you know what? No, I know a lot of K-pop stands that have many, many posters of the same. Yeah. You know, he has just enough Ma Marilyn he, he Manson. Shops, he shops a Hot Topic, I assume. <laughs> He's got a nose ring. That's a very important detail. Yeah. Every, every, <laughs> all the parents hate his nose ring. His hair his is blue. blue. Hair. Yeah. It's only like a strike. He's got a Pepe Le Blue. He's just got a small <laughs> little Pepe Le Blue. Um, and he's just... You're, he's 16, 15? 
He's if he, if he's 15 or 16, then I got some issues leading a little later. Oh, I, I thought he no. was like 17, 18. No, no, absolutely not. He's like a sophomore. Wow. He's going into his junior oh, year. That's, well, that's unfortunate. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no. Things have changed for the well, rod. I, either way. For like the all-star. Yeah, so he is, he is the, the pinnacle of teenager. Yes. You know, in this like late 90s, early 2000s where, you know. Yeah, okay, I think he just turned 16, right? Because we hear the like, oh, yeah, the last time uh, I remember when he was six, and he's like, you haven't been happy in 10 years. So he's probably just, he's 16, so he's he's going into his junior year. Got it. But um, he's not 17 or 18. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a troubled youth. He has some troubles, that is for sure. Yeah, he uh, he takes drugs a what? lot. Yeah, he huffs paint. <gasps> That's a drugs? Yeah. He's like addicted to pills. He's addicted to like other drugs. He, he huffs paint. He's addicted to numbing out. He's yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. He doesn't. He's not addicted to any one drug. He's addicted to the feeling you get when you take something and it takes. He wants the apathy his, that comes naturally to his dad. He practices auto erotic asphyxiation. That's like, true. Yeah, just the once. Just the, <laughs> and yeah. So he's he's like. This is the when we going back to like the the Christ, the you know the the bad lifetime Christian movie. Mm-hmm. It's like this is the 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 nightmare teenager that you can only make up. You oh know? yeah, yeah you gotta like, pray that you gotta pray the Manson away in this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like he's a little overboard. Like he's mm-hmm. like the worst teenager imaginable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this is dating a guy. <laughs> <laughs> that guy does. He, he that guy's like non-existent. Sorry. <laughs> We'll talk about him in a second. Um, yeah, so Sam is troubled, and yeah. he needs to be fixed. Yes, that's the big, and that's the, the big, big problem. Is the he, house needs to be fixed? The son needs to be fixed. He's he's not he's he's not he's unhappy because he doesn't have a strong father figure in his life, <sighs> which is a trope. Yeah, and I I get it, you know. And sometimes like that's true for people, where it's like you know, hey, you you know, you have a troubled relationship with your father. Uh, it's gonna. You're gonna act out, mm. and 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 that's why the movie is about him also changing with George because, you know, George is trying to invest in the relationship again. Yeah, yeah, I think stepping out of uh, what the movie is saying and stepping into just kind of like viewing it, I think I think it's too easy to be like, well, his dad's not around, so he's doing all of these things. But I think the real, like, it is partially that, but the real thing is, his, it's not just that his dad is not around. When he is around, he is not connect. He's not present anywhere. And then his mom is visibly tired of him and would much rather spend time with her cuter, younger children. And his stepfather is visibly disgusted with him. Yep. And then at school, he dresses like this because this is what he's comfortable in not acting out just like i like all black i like chokers i like like there's nothing wrong with his aesthetic i like like, yeah like boys with makeup art eyeliner keeping your skin putting some color in your hair like there's nothing wrong with it but it's it is the early 2000s yeah and so you get a lot of words slung at you by young children and so like at every point even when he's trying to just be comfortable in himself, nobody wants anything to do with him. They yeah. visibly want nothing to do with him. So I can very easily see this this boy doing this, right? Like, And that makes it easier for me, and we'll talk about it later, like the switch you see in the third act to accept that because like now he's, he's getting it fully, <laughs> you know, like getting that right. thing he's missing, not his father's involvement, but like someone 
not being visibly undone by just his mere presence. I like Sam a lot. <laughs> Who are you anyway? I don't even know you. You'll know me by the time we're through. I'm not going. I'll get your bag. Would you tell him that I'm not going? You already promised me. George, I did say he could go. Is this everything? Mom, please, tell him. George, uh... He is not spending the entire summer with some kid in Tahoe. He can hate me. You can hate me. He can try to kill me while I'm sleeping. I don't care. Sam is spending the summer with me, okay? He's my son. He's 16. That's it! That's just the, 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 the trio. That's the main cast right there. It's yeah. George, Robin, and Sam. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they're the heavy hitters in the movie. Yeah. And they this is a good own scene. their roles. Yeah, this scene's so good. It, it takes, you hear the pool, because, you know, uh, uh, George basically packs Sam's stuff against his will and throws his suitcase into the pool from the top floor. Yep. You know, and is like fishing it out of the pool. So this is all taking place outside near the pool. Yep. And and Sam's having none of it. George is like, you're going to come anyway. I like love this scene. Underage kids who are still living with their parents and under your parents' household, close your ears. This is not advice for you. I always think the scene is so like funny as an adult because like the idea, mom, tell him I'm not going. And I was like, you're 16, get in a car with your your friend, walk away. Your parents do have, you know, rights over you. I sound so weird because you are underage and in their household and they are your guardians. But <laughs> they pay for your Marilyn Manson CDs. <laughs> yeah, just go like you want to like, go at your friends house. Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. But I think it's funny and in, in telling that in this situation, he doesn't like as much as they're like, he's this bad kid. We can't control him. He does whatever he wants. He's still like. No, I need my mom's permission to go with my friend. Yeah. I need I uh, I need you to tell my father since you are in charge that I'm not going to do what he said. You already promised me that I could do something else and that there's something in there that's so childish that is still just kind of like as much as he's like uh, he's still a child. It's a teenage paradox. Yeah. <laughs> that mom, should be a song. Mom. <laughs> tell him I'm not going. Tell him you already promised me this isn't fair. I love Sam. Listen, listen. I want that thing out of your chin, okay? You got nipple rings and navel rings, those come out too. And there's no makeup in my house. No glue sniffing, huffing, no pills, no grass. You've worn out your welcome at this house, Sam. This may well be the worst summer of your entire life, but you've earned it. Now go pick up the suitcase, get in the truck, now. I'll hate you for the rest of my life. Well, you can't even begin to know how much I hate my father. Think of it as a family tradition. It's a good line. Yeah, everything's so good. Everything's so good, like sitting here and just hearing like, You've worn out your welcome in this house. This may be the worst summer of your life, but you've earned it. Uh, give me a bad yeah, child like so we, I can we, say this to them. We're, we're loading up on the good stuff up front. Just so you know, like, like <laughs> there, th this screenplay is like very good in a lot of places. Like, it's and it's strong, it, it's, snappy. The strongest parts are when Sam and George are like, you know, jousting. Yeah. So to speak. And like, like. Sam is like freaking out. He's like, mom, mom. And, and George just comes up and just hugs him. Like, and, and Sam's trying to get out of it. He's like, hey, 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 I'm hugging you. And here's what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's a good scene. And you know what? Like, even you saying that, like the knowledge as an adult 
that after he's had that conversation with the, the nurse, like he's been so standoffish, nobody's touched him. He knows this child has not been hugged because he doesn't invite it. Like when you were like, I remember being in a place where people were like, nobody's like hugged me or touched me. Like I hug you often, probably too much. You actually often say, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> Go away. Yeah. But you can present very standoffish. And I could see how somebody wouldn't even like, I don't know if he shakes hands. I'm just going to say hi. Right. You know, and like this kid. He definitely doesn't get touched oh, yeah. in like, a loving, comforting, safe way. As, as an angsty, unhappy teenager, uh, a former one, <laughs> uh, I, I can relate to that aspect of Sam. It's like, you know, hey, hey, like I, I present myself in a way to not be like even noticed. Mm -hmm. It's like I don't want people to touch me or to talk to me. It's like just that that's what I'm going to present as. So but then also that's also unfulfilling. You know, yeah. you come to realize how unhappy that is. Ugh. So, Paradox of teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> being a teen's hard, man. Gosh, I love. He's Sam. just a teenage dirtbag, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Can I go back and change my name to I love Sam and not uh, You're not my real dad? Because no. I feel like it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. All right, and just to put a bow on this conversation about uh, realizing you're, the end of your life is coming up and you have to reshuffle your uh, your priorities. Um, I wanted to play. A clip I labeled Carpe Diem because that's what when someone knows they're going to die. I, I feel like a lot of movies and a lot of properties, the character that knows they're going to die soon, that they realize that they need to seize the day. Yeah. Right. And they need to cherish every little moment. I was up on that roof this morning, tearing it down. It struck me as strong as anything ever has. I'm happy today. Mm. What were you before today? I don't know what it was. The way the sun struck the ocean or the sound of the waves. It was simple, whatever it was. And I started thinking when the last time was that I felt like this. And uh, he goes on to describe uh, a, a memory he has of being married with his wife and living with their child yeah and like there, it was like just a moment where like he just went swimming with sam when sam was just very young you know and he was happy you know yeah. and he's like you know hug and they play a little flashback of him you know like hugging his son on the beach and they're swimming and having a good time um but what i find most interesting about that clip is what is the moment that makes him realize how that he's unhappy and now he's happy right like mm -hmm. what what about today made him realize oh man i'm happy today yeah and it was just being on his roof watching sunrise or sunset or something right and just like realizing the moment mm -hmm. it's like this is the moment now it's like i'm i'm building this house with my son on this gorgeous cliffside <laughs> and i'm just like today i'm happy it's like Ugh. he sees the day Ugh, this is so hard r <laughs> like I love discussing like movies like this with you because you're like, you're right. Like from a writing and just a film language standpoint, I want to cry. <laughs> like that's so sad. <laughs> that's so sad, but so true. We need to be able to just take the moment. I know I'm like guilty of that often. Like I'm sitting here. I think the other day, hours ago, I was sitting, it was like five o'clock in the morning, sitting on the couch, having done the things that I needed to do and waiting for you to wake up two hours in the future. And I was reading a book and I couldn't even sit here reading the book in quiet. I was thinking about the rest of today and what the week is going to look like after that and what it like. It's so difficult, but it's so important to be like, hey, 
you're sitting alone reading and you haven't been able to do that for a while. Like, chill. <laughs> yeah. So that I think when when someone is liberated from the the pain of life, you know, and it's like, hey, you 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 only have so much bandwidth left, right? It's like physically, you have only a certain amount of time and effort left. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are you going to put that time and effort towards? It's like, it can't be about worrying. It's just about like enjoying each moment, savoring it. Yeah. You know, so, and to like pinpoint the, the Christian elements again, this is just be still and know there is God. Like that's very much what it is. Like only this is important. What, what is that in scripture? That's like kingdom first and then everything else. Like that's what this moment feels like. It's like the, the, it's like for George, it's like, I am enjoying the secular God. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Whatever. Like, ah, hey, uh, I mean, son, sorry. I don't know why I didn't say that in English. Son, this is good. Yeah. So we've been, I've been letting letting us talk good about this movie for a while. Because, hey, there's some good themes here. So that, that opening act does a good job of building up George as a character, Sam as a character, their relationship with each other, you know, some good good themes. Yep, this movie was great. So what is the legacy? It's got, it's got you know. <laughs> Where we're moving on now? We're... Yeah, listen to Marilyn Manson and Limp Bizkit <laughs> songs for some reason because it's 2001. But this movie has flaws mm. and the flaws weigh it down, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So like when I think about this movie, it's like there are like elements of the plot that are just so off-putting, out of place that the whole move, the whole product gets brought down, the quality, you know? Right, right. And I want to talk a little bit about those things okay. because they are so out there. <laughs> and sometimes they're just like needless. Like you can cut all this stuff out and it would be a better movie for it. It's mm -hmm. like if the movie was just this stuff that we've been talking about, it's like Sam, George, Robin, you know, and their, their family dynamics. Yeah. Like that's all it needs to be. It doesn't need all this extra fluff because there's a lot of extra fluff in the screenplay unneeded fluff they sometimes you need an editor to come in and be like hey you know like the studio say hey this stuff doesn't work get out of here trim it trim it down get down to the bare essentials re reshoot some stuff that actually matters all right and and they're basically i i keyed in there's there's really just like three characters that are just that represent these bad moments of the movie mm -hmm. i'm gonna talk about two. First one is Alyssa. Alyssa. Hey. Hi. What are you doing here? Uh, they're trying to make me spend the summer here, but I'm leaving in the morning. Oh, R2. I'm supposed to be in Tahoe. Well, I guess if you stay, I'll see you around. You should stay. Where's your dad? <laughs> I kept that one in there, too, because... <laughs> Alyssa is uh, George's neighbor. Uh -huh. She lives with her mom in a very big house next door to the shack. Yes. And uh, she is kind of set up to be like this love interest for Sam mm -hmm. in a way, but also for George. Yeah. Yeah, it's unnecessary. It's so weird. And it, like, I guess it was of the time because I talked about American Beauty earlier. You know, mm -hmm. it's like there's a lot of like, you know, there's middle class angst you know, middle-aged men, like, just feeling unfulfilled. And in that movie, just like in this movie, it's, like, got the weird Lolita thing. Yeah. Where it's, like, the old man is kind of, like, like, what's up with this teenager next door? Yeah. And it's weird and gross. I will say, at least in this, I haven't seen American Beauty, but at least in this, this George is not, like... Yeah, George is not the instigator. He's not the instigator, and he doesn't ever think of her in a sexual way. Like, any interaction that he has with her is 
either about his house or about his son. But she's like, into it. But she's a little she's a little gross. She's flirtatious with George and Sam. Yeah. And she's also dating another guy who we'll talk about. Ooh. Um it's it's, it's very it's weird. Muddled, complicated. It's like, why is this even here? Because it doesn't propel any of the themes that we've been talking about. Correct. Like, it, it, it's it's just there to like have Somebody was like, "There's too much Sasha." Yeah, it's like movie. to make we need make, a young girl. Part of me is like to make sure that the audience knows that Sam has the not gaze. Yeah, I'm like, that's what it feels like. It feels like a gross studio thing. It's like, hey, Sam looks too gay in this movie. Can yep. we give him a love interest? Yep. A uh, plenty of people also just assume he's gay because of the way he dresses and because his hair is peppy lip blue. Like, legitimately, a lot of people are like, "Everybody knows you're gay." Like, I'm not gay. He doesn't, the thing is, and you know, put props, like he doesn't say it like being offended. Like, oh, how dare you? Well, well, he's just like, I'm not though. I'm offended that you're just assuming. Yeah. <laughs> you and know? Even if I was, not a big deal. Yeah. You know, but deal. he's like, I mean, it's fine, but I'm not gay. And you keep telling people I'm gay and I clearly like this girl and now she's not interested in me because she thinks I'm gay. And that is the thing I have the problem with. Yeah. And it's like this weird, like, it feels like it's from a different movie where if like the movie yeah. was strictly on Sam where it's like Sam's like coming of age, you know, yeah. like learning to, you know, to not be gay, you know, just like, just like, you know, learning how to, how to flirt, learning how to, you know, be intimate, you know, mm -hmm. uh, your, one of your favorite movies, uh, uh, perks of being a wallflower. I love that movie right? so much <laughs> in that movie. The main character like learns to like kind of be like, it's like a young Basically, a child to adult, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the 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 that, spoilers. Those that teenage years where you're learning to be more mature, right? And mm -hmm. it, it involves like learning how to flirt, like being intimate with a woman for the first time, you yeah, know? like that kind of thing. Like, I think maybe that's what they were going for with Sam with Alyssa, but like, oh, it's, it fell so flat that it, it fell into a yeah, hole. and it's just awkward. They have no chemistry. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, really yeah. Bad. Hayden Hayden Christensen. I don't think Hayden Christensen's a very good like romantic actor. I only have two examples to go off of, but it's this movie <laughs> and Attack of the Clones. But part of Attack of the Clones is not his fault. Uh, I hope. Honestly, he's not that good in Jumper. <laughs> but him, Jenna Malone plays Alyssa. Like Jenna Malone and Hayden Christensen have zero chemistry mm -hmm. in this movie. Like it is awkward and weird the whole time. Yeah, Jenna. I mean, Jenna Malone's a good actress. She's like it's decent in this movie. Oh I yeah, guess. in this she's movie she's young, too no. young to be playing love interests for people yeah, yeah it is so weird. and then and then the her with george is just so uncomfortable gross yeah un like needless yeah it didn't need to be there no and then that relates to uh <laughs> her mom who played by mary steenburgen who is way too good for this <laughs> like mary steenburgen like she's a real actress and she's given this third string role in this movie to basically play the, the nagging housewife next door yeah and she has she has, I don't even want to talk about her, her because she's like not important. She's not important. She has a weird subplot where she's, she's getting uh, intimate with a teenager. Yep. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of statutory uh, stuff going on. Yep. In this movie. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of real housewives. Um, I will say I like the only plot point that Mary Steam version uh -huh. has is like she feels so guilty about getting caught sleeping with the teenager that she uh, pays construction workers to help with that. Yeah, them, yeah. Help with like that's her only thing. The well, only thing is that. That relates to the next subplot that I want to talk about. But what uh, this stuff 
movie would have been way better without it. Just get Absolutely. rid of it. Absolutely. Just throw it out. Didn't need it. The other thing that needs to be thrown out is the subplot with Alyssa's boyfriend, Josh, played by uh, Ian Summerholder, played a Boone from Lost. Mm -hmm. So I just called him Boone the whole movie. <laughs> hey, Josh, what are you saying, Ian? Been thinking about the job, man? No. Y'all forget him. Two hours a week for 300 cash the whole summer. Do the math. It's not going to do it, Josh. Guess he doesn't have it in him. They consider this a hatchback or a station wagon. <laughs> Let's get out of here, dude. Think about it. I'll be around. Josh is some kind of teenage businessman. He's got, he's got a job for, for Sam to perform. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a good job. Are you getting $300 every week because you're doing something for two hours or are you doing two hours a week for the whole summer and the whole payout is $300? Neither's, neither's worth it. <laughs> One the, I'm just going to come out and say it. Josh is a teenage pimp? Yep. <laughs> that's a thing in this movie. That's a thing in life. Um, I, I'm like, listen, and 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 if Sam is 16 years old, I assume Boone is his age. 16 yeah. year old, a 16 year old pimp. I think he's I think he's an upperclassman, so he's like seven. He's probably yeah, like 18. 18. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sure it exists somewhere in life. Mm -hmm. Like that, that. This is a thing that happens, but it is so out there that I'm like, it, it seems like a fantasy. <laughs> just like it just seems like a like just a figment of the, somebody's imagination where it's just so unbelievable yeah. to me. That it, like this character is just, yeah, he's just this smooth talking, streetwise teenage pimp in the movie. It would be more believable with you if he was just a drug dealer, if he was just dealing. Yeah, if he was just drilling, like yeah, yeah. If you if he was selling marijuana to you know his classmates, it's like that's that's somewhat believable. Yeah. But you know this guy is setting up you know uh, uh, rendezvous with old businessmen and teenagers. It's so strange. Yeah. And we, the first time we watched it, there's a scene where, yeah, Sam, he's trying to get Sam to get into his business, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Sam like takes him up on it for one scene and then, you know, the police show up. So nothing happens. Yeah. But, um, we were sitting there and it, like, it, it didn't, the movie didn't tell us what his business was. It's mm -hmm. like, what's this job? You know, maybe, maybe he's a drug dealer. What's, what's the job here? And then we're slowly real. I'm slowly realizing <laughs> it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Where did this come from? Yeah. And it's barely followed up on. Yeah. It is just like with Mary Steenburgen where it's like she has a subplot that has a minor payoff in the last act. Yeah. This entire subplot with Josh has a minor plot related payoff. Yeah. It's just for plot reasons. It's like this is used to set up an event that happens later in the movie and that's it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't it doesn't really progress any of the characters. None of the themes. It's just a weird thing that happens early <laughs> in the movie to set up something that happens later in the movie. And it could have been done in a million different ways. It didn't need to be this. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I agree. And there's ways that we can work around and just fix it, right? Like it just being him de being a dealer and it's like, hey, I need you to take these pills to this place and da, da, da. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But they put this in. I think the thing that I found not found interesting, right? But like thinking back about when I was watching this as a 12 year old. Yeah, th th this subplot <laughs> is the reason I was like, why were you let to, why I, to watch this? this? I did not catch that. Like, I was just like, I don't know. They're in the car. 
selling drugs. I don't know what they're doing in that car. You don't actually see anything. Like he just like goes over to the car and then he's in the car for a little bit. And then the police show up and then he's running. And I was like, they're doing something. I don't know. I don't know what age and what watching it was that I, it clicked for me that that's what was going on. But I was horrified. <laughs> I was horrified watching it. <laughs> so when, when I knew it was coming up, when we were watching it together for the first time, I was like, and it's kind of watching you. It's kind of weird that that scene happens like maybe 20 minutes into the movie. right? And Josh is set up <laughs> yeah. to be this horrible, horrible human being. Yeah. And he just keeps showing up. And from the rest of the movie, he's kind of comic relief. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, like it's all like jokes at his expense and like slapstick and uh, they're just like talking to him as if he's just like this normal guy. And I'm like, no, that guy's a monster. <laughs> Why is he in this movie? Because we all know monsters and we can't just get them out of our lives. Yeah, and like it's so strange. And there were some scenes in the movie where he just shows up. Like there's no establishment. It's like. What are you doing here? Yeah, it's like he's just like hanging. Like there's one scene where Sam's taking a shower in uh in Alyssa's house. house yeah. yeah he's just like using their shower because there's not a good shower at the shack and he's just in the bathroom taking a shower and ian summerholder just walks in to the bathroom <laughs> and i was like is this like a fight club tyler durden situation where this guy isn't real because <laughs> it seemed like he was a figment of sam's imagination where he's just so casually walks into the bathroom yeah while sam is taking a shower it's so strange yeah and sam's like I locked that door. I know I locked that. Several people walk in on him while showering. He's like, do the locks not work? Like, what is happening? You hear me in the shower. Why are you coming in? Yeah. So the boy wants his privacy, and I am not about to not give it so to him. So when, when we talk about, like, some of the themes we talked about, like, you're like, oh, wow, that sounds like a really profound, poignant film, you know, with a lot of great ideas. You're like, it yeah, is. It, it is. But also it has all this extra baggage <laughs> of, like, just needless subplots that are just like edgy for no reason. Um, and they, they don't go anywhere. They have a minor payoff uh, that this stuff drags the movie down. Mm. And a lot of screen time is devoted to this crap. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, when, you know, I think it's to the, the intention is to break up the heaviness of the plot, even though this is not, not heavy. And, I'll get back to that. Um, but like them walking into the shower or different things like that is to break up the like very visceral, like I'm dying. I have only a certain amount of months to do X, Y, and Z. And then also to, as a counterpoint, like just in case we didn't make it clear, uh, George did not tell his ex-wife, but nor did he tell his son yes. that he is dying. Uh, so the idea that other stuff is happening in this guy, this kid's life that is taking most of his thought process because he's not thinking about his dad. He's just like, my dad's a jerk and I have to be here, whatever. He's not thinking about the fact that his dad's dying because he doesn't know that, you know? Uh, so I think it's a bit of an interesting counterpoint, especially like we, uh, we don't, we don't like the scene with the prostitution, but right after that, after Sam is running away, he's like crying on a beach, like desperate and torn apart. Uh, this could have been achieved a number of different ways, Yeah, but like that's an, a good moment because I think that's the first time we see him like in the vulnerable 16 year old, like unshelled alone, right. crying. Like he's been angry. He's been screaming. He's been off putting. And this is the point where he's like, I didn't want to do this. Like, why am I doing this? Like, what is, how did I yeah, get and here? He could have been done in any other way with established stuff already. It's like, if he had done, <laughs> if, that, if that has been the scene where he, tries auto erotic asphyxiation and it, it becomes, you know, it's this horrible experience for him. 
you know, or he almost dies or something. Yeah. It's like you get the same respect. It doesn't have to this magical character <laughs> that is the teenage pimp. Infamous. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to point out all this stuff. Uh, the it, it, you, you said it's like to break it up, right? Like mm -hmm. there are scenes where, you know, like, oh, George and Sam have to deal with like the house isn't up to code, you mm -hmm. know, or. You know, the health inspector comes down or, you know, city officials like, hey, you guys are doing this construction. Uh, this doesn't meet the standards of the city. Uh, you know, that that lean more into that stuff. And yeah. that could have broke up the heaviness yeah. a bit better, more seamlessly than just these random third string characters <laughs> that have almost nothing to do and no connection to the main plot. You know what? Even with those, like they could have not just that leaned more into and we should talk about it a little bit. The life that. Robin has because as much yeah, as we're talking yeah, about yeah. this family of three, they're not. They're not a family of three. <laughs> it's a man and his son and his ex-wife and her family. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that, that's a good point. Let's let's talk about um, some some relationships. You know, so like the the rest of the this segment, we're just going to talk about some the relationships of the film and how they relate to the themes. You yeah. Know? Um, and I, I think before there, because the big one is the themes of father and son, you know, mm -hmm. or father and children. Right. Yeah. And so we'll talk about that because I feel like it relates to George and Sam, but also with Robin's husband and his kids. Mm -hmm. And I think both are doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, the other relationship that I want to talk about first is the relationship between uh, George and Robin, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, they're, they're divorced, messy. George is like, well, she was very angry when she divorced. Now she's just hostile. <laughs> right. So that's the starting point. And then throughout the film, like just like he's building this relationship with his son, he's rebuilding that relationship with his ex-wife. Yeah. Know? Makes me sad. Why? I used to live here. Yeah, and you hated four out of the five years that you did. I was here six years. And I only hated two. Which two? First and the last. That's a good line. Yeah. I like that. It kind of sets up like the uh, kind of like the start, like where, where their relationship is at now. Right. Mm -hmm. Where she like she still looks back fondly on that time with him. But, you know, it's like that last year, I guess, was so messy that, it, you know. Yeah. Kind of paints the rest of the relationship. Yeah. Um, their scenes are great. <laughs> Every scene with with Kevin Klein. And Kristen Scott Thomas is fantastic. I feel like they have they have great chemistry. Agreed. Like it is just so seamless. Yeah. The They're, only messy part is her American accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, but that's fine. Yeah, you can hear her accent come through. But maybe she's just you know, maybe she's a second generation. You know. Yeah, I just need to just let her use her actual accent and just be like, yeah, we met in college. I was abroad and I stayed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something. Um, but th their chemistry was so good mm -hmm. that it changed some of the priorities of the film. The filmmaker oh, really? realized this was an important theme, not through the screenplay, but through their performances. Huh. Yeah. According to director Erwin Winkler, he never realized the rekindling love between George and Robin was a key aspect of the script until he saw the emotion displayed by Kevin Klein, Kristen Scott Thomas in their scenes together. Hmm. And the magic's there. Yeah, like absolutely. We, the, the last watch, like we're watching it, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, they're just so good together. Yeah. Every scene, like they just have scenes where they're just sitting on a little bench outside the shack and they're just talking yeah. and you're just like, man, these, these they're killing it for real. That makes it. That's oh, I'm going to go watch it again. And because it, it, before you say that, I, I looked into the script cause I mm -hmm. wanted to see what, what was present in the screenplay and what was brought And 
the words are there. Mm -hmm. the, the a lot of the words are still there. Like it is an aspect of the film where it's like, hey, these two characters are kind of re, you know, kindling their relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all present. But I think the emo like the emotion and the weight of that subplot isn't evident in just reading the words. Like you have to see it. Yeah. And I think that's the 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 director, I guess, like wasn't going to like focus on it too much. But that opening scene where it's that that we just played that clip, you know, where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you, you hated this house, right? That scene, I guess, was so strong that he said, I'm gonna devote, you know, more time, time this, yeah. and you know, have a director's eye on this relationship just as much as I'm gonna have it on Sam and George. Yeah. I think uh with all that, with that knowledge that you didn't share with me because you wanted to surprise me with it here, which is fine. Uh, I want to rewatch it because I think I was noticing last time that I was like, oh, it's so interesting because I think the kids were doing a really good job because there would just be moments where they are like, uh, George and Robin are interacting and you get like sort of a wide shot and you'd see Sam like staring with a goofy smile or you see one of the little kids like, and like being like, oh yeah, because like mom and dad are maybe getting back together. You were saying that specifically last time we were watching, like, look, he's so happy. Like his parents, like that he's realizing that the dream that all divorced kids have, <laughs> yeah, it's like but it, the fact that it's like now, like hearing you, it could have just been like, Yo, dude, look at that acting happening right there. Like being pulled into the moment. And they were just like, wow, those look like two people in love. Two things. One, yes, there's a very naturalistic feel to the performance of this movie mm -hmm. uh, with all the actors. And there's reason for that. Winkler encouraged his cast to improvise moments leading into and following their scripted dialogue, many of which were used in the final film. So wow. a lot of this stuff is just kind of improvised like reactions and naturalistic acting from the the cast oh, so it's, good it's really good you see it like you said you see it a lot with the little kids like yeah. the little kids are just encouraged to be little kids yeah, and, and like, there's specifically a line that's like i'll dance with you okay i have to get back to work now and it's just like that's just a kid yeah. <laughs> and kevin klein's great with the kids i feel like her, yeah. it, both of them um but also <laughs> that just like with dad guilt <laughs> a common theme and trope of the 90s and basically just 90s like the 90, 90s to now <laughs> is the the dream of the divorced parent trying to get back together. We saw it in The Parent Trap. Mm -hmm. We saw it in, uh, sort of, we saw it in... Um, house Arrest? Yes, House Arrest, but uh, the Mary-Kate Nashley movie we watched. It takes two? It takes two, a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, we, we, you know... They weren't divorced, but I get, but yeah, I get those, what you're saying. Yeah, we want, we, want, we want mom and dad to yeah. get together. You yeah. Know? Uh, it, it's, it's so... <laughs> it, it's in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. And it is a fantasy. It is a fairy tale. You know, and I, I totally get it. It's like mm -hmm. little kid, you, you know, you're a little kid. You go through this horrible experience of having your parents, you know, fall out of love with each other. You, I don't know. You relate oh. to them more than I do because my yeah. parents stayed together. <laughs> but the fantasy is I want to see mom and dad get back together. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's very childish and kind of like gross, misguided yeah. in a way. Because, hey, sometimes relationships to a relationship isn't meant for, you know, two people. Sometimes they're not meant for each other. Yeah. And it's just toxic if they stay together. I mean, like, if we're honest, we know of some couples that have divorced and then gotten remarried only to divorce again. You know, like, I think, like, the thing is, like, if you divorced, hopefully before then, you had so you sought, sought counseling. You were had people in your lives because you wanted to make it work. If you didn't do that and you divorced, then it's, it was probably because you didn't want to fix yourselves and then to get back together 
having not like wanted to do that, it's it's just a breeding ground for more hurt. Yeah. I, uh, uh, but as kids, like I totally get that. I, I like I meant to ask my sisters if like at the beginning they were really hoping for our parents to get back together. I think my youngest definitely was because I was 18 when they separated, which means my youngest sister was five years younger than me. Math. 14? 13. 13? She was 13. And then they divorced the following year. Um, and I think maybe for a little while, my sisters, at least they aren't yet, might have wanted that. But maybe, you know, like I think just seeing them separate. No, I'm not going to go into that on mic. <laughs> but, but, I, but like, you know, you get to see your parents as individuals. And if they're not interacting in, with, with each other in a, a toxic, negative way, you get to actually see what happiness looks like for them, for them to go after that on their own because you've only ever seen them as a pair. And I think that like sometimes when we see people apart, it's so much easier to see like, this is why this can't work. Yeah. And it, it's it's so much of a childish fantasy, you know, to see that. And I think it's like one of those like happily ever after moments, mm -hmm. you know, in fiction that just does, it, it doesn't work in reality. So yeah. like for this movie, they kind of play with that. Like, is this a good idea? Because George and Robin, they do fall back in love with each other. Yeah. You know? Because Ro w George has fixed himself. You know, he's he's got a better outlook on life. And, mm -hmm. and Robin realizes that how unhappy she's been with her husband. Her current husband. Yeah. We'll talk about him in a second. <laughs> uh, but they, they it, it becomes a, a love story, a romance, mm -hmm. you know, in a way. And I think they, they do a little bit of like, is this a good idea? You know? Yeah. And, uh, I'll, I'll play a clip later on where I think George is like, a, it has a super mature reaction to yeah. this, like, you know, rekindling. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a thing that happens in the movie. And do you think it's done respectfully or, or naturally <laughs> no, or married. realistically? Okay. Is like, it realistic? I, guess? <laughs> I was like, respectfully. No, she's in a relationship respectfully. Um, no, but real, I think realistically, yeah, I could absolutely see, right. This is a man I fell in love with and I loved him for almost all of the time that we were together. And the time that I, when, when we were breaking up, it wasn't that I didn't love him. It was that I was frustrated in his inability to change for me and our family. So it's not that I never, I ever stopped loving him. It's just that love was outweighed by my anger and my frustration and my hurt. Yeah. So absolutely being able to see these two together and like listen to them and even how they co-parent, right? Like, yeah, no, it's believable. I think like the, the relationship that they build, like it becomes almost dreamlike in a way, you know, mm. like there's, oh, yeah. there's the, like I, I, the, the, one of the most important scenes in the movie, um, it's used in all the posters. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's a scene where they are, They've built the foundation of oh, the yeah. house. So metaphorically, they've rebuilt the foundation of the entire family, mm -hmm. right? The, the, fa the family's foundation is firm again, <laughs> right, for, right. firm for the first time, right? And so they're standing in the frame of this new house, right? And it's golden hour in Palos Verdes, California. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah, they, they filmed like, honestly, a lot of like, I felt like the direct, I said this, the director had an easy job as far as making the movie look beautiful because they just filmed on like the most beautiful cliffside in California. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the one, that's the one. Folks. Yeah. So they, co they're constantly filming at sunset and it's golden hour and it's just beautiful to look at. Um, but they're, they're, they're sitting there and they've just built, you know, they've just finished the frame and mm. this happens. Hey mom, did you know George before he knew dad? Long before. 
tell him how you made me fall in love with you. I smiled at him. Watch out for the smile, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Who's up for a dance? Not me. Okay, Sal, let's see if you remember this. I don't know, maybe. It's <laughs> a long time. We used to rock you to sleep to this. Dance you to sleep. Come on, who's gonna dance with me? And George steps up to the plate and dances with his ex-wife, and it's a very touching scene. And all the this is the scene where all the kids are like, oh. Yeah. I want to watch the movie again. <laughs> like, I'm sitting here listening, closing my eyes. I'm like, oh, such a good movie with flaws. <laughs> Love with flaws. Love with flaws. So <laughs> That's the name of but it. But this whole, this whole scene feels very dreamlike. It's like, a, mm. like you know, just a happy dream, like a happy moment where... It's like, oh, wow, this fantasy is coming true. My, my parents are falling in love with each other again. Yeah. You know, so I, I think maybe the, the ethereal uh, tone of that scene was meant to be like, yeah, this is not a realistic thing per yeah. se, but it is, you know, something that. We, yeah, it was framed as fantasy. Yeah. Like it was framed as, you're, yeah, very dream dreamlike. So sad, but beautiful. Yeah. So that's, a, it, I, I think. Overall, this is a very strong aspect of the film, and I'm glad they realized it. Yeah. <laughs> filming it. Because that was another thing they had to, f because the plot is you're tearing down a shack at the start and building a new house. They filmed almost the entire movie in sequence mm -hmm. in chronological order, which is not common in movies. Correct. Uh, and so they must have very early on realized, oh, wow, because that, that first scene with, with George and, and Robin, where they're sitting next to the shack, was so strong that they were able to adapt and the rest of the movie focus on that. Yeah. So. That's a stroke of luck. Stroke indeed. of luck. Indeed. Yeah. And of course, the other type of relationship that we want to talk about is the, the relationship between the father and son. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about George and Sam. Uh, they have some fantastic scenes together. Yeah. Uh, I, I, best part of the movie. Any, any of their two scenes is like the best written, the best performed. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Everything about you is my business. What you smoke what you sniff, what you swallow, it's all my business. I've been using since I was 12! You're all so unbelievably you. stupid, you know that? You didn't give a shit about anything I did up until now. I'll apologize for everything but today. Today I give a shit. Yeah, you're too fucking late. Oh man, F-bomb by, by Anakin. I literally have tears in my eyes. I love this movie so much. I'll apologize for everything but today. I was like, mm. Uh, that was a good line. Very good. Honestly, even though you laughed at it, I like- I'm laughing I because got, of, of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, but like that's the moment that like, like got me at first. I've been using since I was 12. Like things that he's been hold, like the character has been holding on to like you're so stupid no one's noticed i've been using since i was it 12. was a cry for help you idiot like uh, i know that you've i know you've never been in like a chemical chemical recovery course or something like that but i've helped some people through like recovering from different kinds of addiction and and the this very real thing where it's like i started young and i knew i had to hide it and then everything became a lie and everything became twisted around and then I couldn't trust anyone and therefore nobody could trust me and like just this moment of him breaking out and trying to use it as a weapon while 
like literally filleting himself before this man he hates at this moment in time, right? And to be met back with, I apologize for everything before today. Ugh, ugh. It's good. Kids, I feel so deeply about things like this. Mm, I wish I could write this good. All right, which direction do you want to go? Do you want to talk about, like, because George relates a lot of his relationship with Sam to his own relationship with his father. It's, it's very, it's all tied up in that. Mm -hmm. We can go in that direction or we can talk about how this is contrasted with the stepdad whose name eludes me. Hold on. <laughs> Peter. Peter's the stepdad. And his, his relationship with his kid is, kids, his kids are constantly contrasted with George and Sam. I think I want to talk about Peter and the kids first and then pull back because the contrast is so because I feel like we've talked a lot about like the good here so I want to like put this in the middle yeah so then. describe Peter then uh rich workaholic don't know what he does makes a lot of money his house is way too big I would never be able he to clean it he only has one maid gigantic postmodern house like I was looking at the houses like how do you clean that up there the ceiling is too high and it's nothing but boards it's no it's filthy yeah but he is he is very distant from his entire family, like in a rich guy kind of way. Like, yeah. Like I think uh, George was distant in the apathetic, like beaten down, like I have nothing to live for type of distance. And then Peter is just like, he's he's preoccupied. He's constantly like he's he's focused on the things that society tells him to be focused on. Yeah. He thinks that the what he needs to do to take care of his family is all financial. So not being there, like having this big old house, you being able to go to a, a, like a good school, being able to afford the things that you need, plus the things that you want. Yeah. Is how you father. And that's his role. And the the other aspects of parenting, like the love and tender care. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, ten, tender love and kindness <laughs> <laughs> TLC is uh, for the mother yeah do you think it's odd your kids don't hug you should I mm, would worry me if I let everything that should worry me worry me I'd be dead from worry what would you be if you asked Ryan and Adam to run in here right now and hug you I'd be you Oh, that was a cold-hearted answer, my man. Yeah, red flags, guys. You only get maybe four scenes with this guy. Mm -hmm. You're right. I feel like the movie could have invested more time in this. Yeah. And it would have been stronger than investing in the teenage pimp. Yeah, yeah. But the the <laughs> I think crumbles. the chemistry between these two would have been far outshined by the other one. Um, but yeah, I think that is very indicative of who who this guy is as a father, right? Like, I, I don't know. Did you get the breakfast clip when he was like, I did. Okay. I wish you'd talk to him. He needs a man. Him being Sam. His father's a man. Man he respects. He respects nothing. Thanks for talking about me behind my back. It's useful in court. Are you wearing <laughs> eye makeup? No. Take it off. If I just walk out the door right now, Who's going to be here tonight for the follow-through? Have a nice flight. He definitely doesn't respect that man. Oh, and why should he? Look, there's so many things. There's so many things in that moment, right? Like, hi, I'm a woman without kids. But, honey, if we had kids and then something happened to our relationship or whatever, and I was in another relationship and that person didn't treat our child like their child, 
I'm going to be in a third relationship. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's so bad. Like his father's around. Like he doesn't respect any. Well, why should I, you know, like he, someone, wa thanks for talking about me behind my back walks in. And I now just sighed, like take off your makeup. Like why, why would you have any yeah. authority? And then Sam's back, right? Like if I left, who'd be here for the follow through? Cause he's never there. And essentially this child that you talk about behind your back, about behind your back, like tear down, look at with disgust is the man of your house yep. because you are not here. Yeah. Cause that's the, he, there, the, the other scene that I played is Robin like had made dinner for him and he got home like super late. So they're eating and like the kids had already gone to bed. So like he barely sees his kids. Yeah. Um, there, there was a little moment that you pointed out when we watched it during that breakfast scene. That's describe it. He, Sam leaves, and then uh, Peter says something snarky. I don't know what it is. And then one of his kids, one of like the eight year old, comes and hugs him and is like, says, I won't wear makeup, dad, or something. He says something in response to what their dad said. And the dad just looks at him without moving his hands from his paper in his breakfast and says, Are your hands clean? <laughs> And I, I, as a, it was like, I, I relate to that. Not because oh, yeah, I want to be a horrible father. I don't want to be a bad father, but like that would yeah, have been like, your response. Yeah. It's like, I, when I think of kids, I think of like germs and grossness, sticky hands. And sticky hands. Yeah. So it's like, that's, that's a character flaw for him and me. Yeah. But like, like you wouldn't, be, it's a good moment. Yeah. And I think like, so this is, this is the main difference. Like he's a lot that he's more similar to George than he isn't. He is. Yeah. present without being present right and like because he there is a lot that goes into being a good parent and he's doing about a half or three quarters but you need to do it you don't need to do it all to be a perfect parent but you need to be hitting as something at each level and like the fact that 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 uh robin is bringing it up be mostly because she's spending a lot of time with george and she's rekindling stuff and feeling like this is what i really want a family to look like the hit her like even being strong enough to be like is it weird that your kids don't hug you that they don't touch you like what would you do if i asked them to come down here to do that and his response being like i mean if i worried about everything i needed to worry about like the, why would you not worry about the physical, mental, and emotional well-being of your children? For, why? Yeah, for for a movie that spends so much time talking about like how the, the importance of physical touch, you know, and like just connecting with people on that level, uh, it it's a great like detail that mm -hmm. Peter is just so like against like you know embracing his children. It's it's a good it's 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 good. Yeah. And I wish the movie spent more time developing that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We we definitely could. Like, if we ever made it, got a remake of this, <laughs> I would want more time on this side. But like, I think there comes a time later in the film. Watch the film, kids. Uh, where Peter's feeling a little bit threatened by George because his wife is spending a lot of time over there and taking his kids there. That he's like, "Let's go away. Let's go on vacation." And she's like, "No, I'm doing something." Like I'm doing something that's important to me and to my son. You know that kid that you said yeah, he has a, a father. I'm <laughs> spending time with my son and my my other sons for the first time all together in a long time. Like you can come with, like you can, but I'm finally connecting to my son in a way I haven't been able to in years, and I'm not missing this. And his response to that is to retreat. Is to leave. Is to literally leave her. Not just like leave the conversation. Just up 
and goes. Daddy doesn't even say anything. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't leave a note. Just gone. Yep. That's maturity. <laughs> Speaking of maturity, I want to like, again, contrasting with George, the, the scene I alluded to where George shows like, I love this dialogue in this scene here because it shows how much George has changed. And like, yes, it's this fantastical fairy tale ending where the, the, you know, the divorced parents come back together, you know, they rekindle mm -hmm. the relationship, but George still has shown growth because he is examining this relationship with a maturity that I, I feel like I don't see very much in these types of stories. Mm -hmm. It would be better if you didn't come every day. Why? I like being with Sam. But there's less and less for Ryan and Adam to do it. I'd hate for the boys to be bored, you know. Well, I, I know they don't help much anymore, but we love coming here, George. But, uh... How much time do they get to spend with their dad? George, realizing how important it is to spend time with his son, like this whole experience has been very fulfilling to him. Yeah. He is now thinking about the two young children that have been there helping. How much are how much time are they spending with their dad? Cuz yeah. he like he's like I don't want them to be without the love of their father. Mm -hmm. You know, like Sam has. Yeah. Or like I have. Yeah. You know, and I'm like I don't want the cycle to continue. Such a good little scene. Yeah. And it's like, man, I want more of that. I was like, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And it's so important, you know? Um, I, and I think even not just on the, the, the growth as a, a father, but as a friend, not a husband to her as an ex, as a partner with her yeah. in a lot of ways of like, I think, I don't know if you got the clip that comes right after that when she comes back in her car. No, no. She literally is like, look, you're using excuses. You don't want me to be here. Tell me, I don't want, you don't want me to be here. And he's just like, I don't want you to be here. And not because he isn't connecting with her and having a good time with her, but he is very aware that. I'm not going to be here. He still has not told her that he is dying, but he's like, this is unfair to you and you are in a relationship, you know, like, and making that decision to pull back to like put this like very distinct line. Um, and it's beautiful. Like it's, it's such a beautiful thing because I think for her, it is also hard because like she has a, a husband who is yet again, pulling away and not being present like her first husband, I assume was. We didn't really get to see why they broke I up, I but I can so. assume mm -hmm. he's been doing this for 20 years. Um, and like back with this man that she had fallen in love with with her in her youth and things are looking bright. Like to be stuck between that rock and hard place, like I as a woman can say like, yo, you gotta be faithful. But I can understand how your heart is emotionally, you are cheating right now. You are not physically cheating, but you are cheating right now. And you should remove yourself from the situation yeah. and George only to go home to an empty house. But George is the mature one now where it's like, hey, I I'm not, there's no future with me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that, I feel like that's the only reason he's able to like put that wall up. But amen, yeah. whatever gets it done. Yeah, yeah. So he, anyway, it's, it's very well done. Yes. For what's there. Um, we got, we got to wrap up this conversation. Oh yeah. We we've been we talking a while. Yeah. But <laughs> I want to focus on Sam and George's relationship with, you know, one more set of clips. Uh, I have a few, I have quite a few scenes that we <laughs> can pull from, but what is, it, it's one standout like, oh, that's the one that hits me with the feels. I mean, the one that hits me with the most feels, I want the kids to see. 
I'm like, watch the movie, but also maybe this isn't a good movie for people to watch. I, I was like, I'll, I'll play this one clip mm -hmm. and it, it, it might sell you on watching the movie. And then we'll talk about whether or not we recommend it. You knew you were dying from the start. <sighs> we're all dying from the start. I just got moved to the head of the line. But you lied to me. I would have lied to myself if I thought I'd believe it. So this whole thing, this whole summer having me here was for your sake. You selfish fuck. Having me here trying to get me to like you. No, Sam. I wasn't trying to get you to like me. I was trying to get you to love me. Well, congratulations. Because you fucking pulled it off. Very good. Uh, so, if, you know, hey, if, if you want to hear more of that, watch the movie. Watch I was like, oh, do you recommend it? Oh, 100%. Even though there is bad in it. Such good movie. I'm going to watch it again next weekend. Yeah, I, I think I recommend it for, for the ideas that it presents. It is not a perfect movie. It has a lot of badness that we, you know, can't even begin to describe. <laughs> Um, but it, it, the, at its core, it's a very good story with great characters, great performances. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like it, it, it is mature and sophisticated where it excels. Yeah, just don't and let it's, your... It's just sloppy where it falls short. Yes, it's excellent. You should watch it, not with your 12-year-old nieces or nephews. No, yeah. I was like, this is an adult <laughs> for movie. This is a movie for adults. So if you're an adult listening to this, like, watch it. You know, if you're a child, maybe wait a few years. <laughs> Maybe, definitely. Definitely wait some years. If you winced at all the F-words just spoken, then maybe this isn't for you. Mm -hmm. um, again, like, we, we didn't even get to talk about, like, really the core, which is, like, Sam and George's relationship. They have some, they have countless great scenes together. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, all through both of their their development, right? Where it's, yeah. like, Sam grows from, like, this troubled youth with a lot of drug problems, you know, to, like, you know, he, he begins to get clean by the end of the movie, and it's you know, very emotional, you know, yeah. and then George tackles his own relationship with his father, the memory of his father and how he relates to his relationship with his son. It's, it's really, really well done. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Recommend. Absolutely. What did the world think? Only receiving a limited theatrical release. Life as a house earned $15.6 million in the U S and 8.2 million in foreign markets for a total worldwide box office of 23.9 million against a $27 million budget. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's a bomb. That's a bomb. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, even though I don't think it's marketing budget was as big as other movies. Uh, yeah, that's a bomb. This is not a crowd pleaser though. This isn't the type of movie you try to sell. I was pleased. Know. Yeah. I, I, I'm a crowd. This isn't a big box office draw. I think they realized that. <laughs> yeah. The film received a mixed reception from critics, though the cast was universally praised. Critic Emmanuel Levy, for example, said, quote, the father-son melodrama is well acted, but it's too solemn and too concerned with being inspirational. Like, it is very sappy in some places. Yeah. Melodramatic is a pretty good word to describe it. Is it too solemn? Yeah, this, uh, for some people, I'm sure. What's the definition of solemn? Very, very sad, heavy, serious, like... Serious black. Real Views said, quote, The movie gets us to feel about the characters, their relationships, and their circumstances... And that goes a long way towards allowing us to forgive the screenplay's occasional missteps and wrong turns, which I, th I was like, that's a very fair analysis. Yeah. And meanest of all, the BBC <laughs> said, quote, 
As a drama, it's insipid, maudlin junk that'll have you reaching for the sick bucket rather than the Kleenex. Wow. Come on, the BBC. Junk. Back off. Hayden Christensen won the National Board of Review Award for Breakthrough Performance by an Actor and was nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture and the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Supporting Role. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Hayden Christensen is a good actor. Yes, he is. You, just, you guys just have really only seen the, the movies that... Yeah, y'all bullied him out of, out of the movie business. Just like Kristen Stewart. Yeah, he's good. Kevin Klein, meanwhile, was nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Leading Role. Deserved. Well-deserved. And what of the legacy of Life as a House? A Life as a House soundtrack album was released. Was it all Marilyn Manson and Lip Biscuit? Featuring only pieces of Mark Isham's score. Ah. Sadly, no Radiohead, no Marilyn Manson, no Limp Biscuit. <laughs> in February 2001, after principal photography wrapped on the film, costume designer Molly... Magnus and architect Scott McGillivray uh, approached New Line Cinema about reusing the lumber from the Life as a House House for a school library in the Los Angeles Unified School District. Huh. Yeah, so they built this like beautiful house just for the production. They're just going to tear it down. Oh, wow. You know, it, it's a very cool house yeah, at the end is. of the movie. It's cool looking. But yeah, they, they were just going to tear it down and recycle it, I guess. So these folks were like, well, let's, let's use it for a good cause because yeah. it's such a cool building yeah so yeah uh new line agreed to donate the lumber on the condition that the film site be cleared in just three days whoa the house was promptly dismantled moved and stored for several years and in 2004 the house was reconstructed and enlarged to become a library for the kenter canyon elementary school in brentwood california all right hey it's pretty cool that's yeah, really so you, cool. you can go and visit this elementary school in brentwood and see the life as a house okay here's the thing right I don't like doing that thing that you do when you go to places to see where movies were filmed, but I kind of want to go to the library. <laughs> well, and we can go to the uh, the the city or this the the neighborhood street they filmed on on the cliffside. Apparently, that was an like a defunct aquarium site that they huh. built. They built that whole neighborhood. That entire street oh. was manufactured. All those all those mansions. Wow, they were just fronts. Yeah, facades. That's dedication. And what of the folks behind Life is a House? Well, writer Mark Andrews went on to write four additional films. 2002's Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Okay. 2007's Georgia Rule. Oh my gosh, that was almost that's on that's a runner up for me. 2014's Gosh, she writes such sad things. 2014's And So It Goes and 2019's Otherhood. Goodness. Goodness. Hey, Hey, D Andrews, you okay? You okay, buddy? <laughs> Director Erwin Winkler only directed two more features, 2004's D. Lovely and 2006's Home of the Brave. But he has continued to produce big-name films like The Mechanic, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, and The Creed series. Dang. He's like, I, I think he's a collaborator with uh, Martin Scorsese and uh, Sylvester Stallone. Mm. Like. I think those are his two biggest collaborators. So yeah. Those the, all, all the Rocky series, yeah, all yeah, the Scorsese yeah. movies. Like he's You're that like, yeah, he's man. the guy. And that's life as a house. Ooh. Man, that was a long conversation. That it was, was deep. Really, Continuing really our trend of like starting with the heavy movie and then moving into the kids <laughs> movie. But hey, 
We got to keep you listening. <laughs> no one wanted to listen to Life as a House as the main event. Excuse me. Shrek's the main event. I would have. We had such a lovely conversation. Anyway, we're going to close out this segment with a song from the soundtrack. It's a song called Live a Lie by the band Default. I've never heard of Default, uh, but I listened to this. It is the most 2001 sounding song <laughs> you'll ever hear. And it's post grunge, which is your favorite. Hey, so perfect. You know. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to close out with that, and we'll be back after the break with My Movie of 2001. See, kids. The Summer USA movie will continue after these messages. Take him for the summer. Make him smile. George has a son he can't understand. I want you to be happy. You're not. Sam has a father he can't relate to. I don't even know you. This is such a street of whiners. This fall, they'll both get a second chance. He's insane. Why are you so tight? Pretty, isn't she? For a girl. Kevin Klein, Kristen Scott Thomas, and Hayden Christensen open the door to the most remarkable movie of the year, Life as a House, rated R. Now playing. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop 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 coming. Hey, welcome back. Segment two. You know, the Jess will be absent for this one. Do you know that this song, like by the time Shrek came out, this song wasn't even popular anymore. <laughs> like it was, it was my favorite song in 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. But it shine had you know had had rubbed had off by coming. 2001. It stopped coming. <laughs> but then the, it was in this movie, and that cemented its legacy as like the most like meme worthy song of all time. Yeah, you know? like this song never went away after Shrek. It was the original Rickroll. Yeah, and it wasn't even supposed to be. I'll get into it. It wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. Ah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've already said the name of the movie. So here we go. Released May 18th, 2001, based on the picture book of the same name by William Steig, directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicki Jensen, featuring the voice talents of Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, John Lithgow, and Eddie Murphy. Shrek. This was a book? Yes. Why? It's based on a picture book about an ugly ogre oh. who has a donkey friend or something. Okay. If you insist. Yeah. So Shrek, I'm countless children of my generation. Uh, this is their movie, their movie of 2001. Mm. It's like I watched, I, I was there day one, in the, not day one. I was there, <laughs> ground floor theater, you know. Uh, you were like, yep, this is it. This is, this then, is the yeah. childhood. And then we got it on, v- uh, we got it on DVD. Um, I... Did you have Shrek shirts? No. One of my first DVD experiences, not my first DVD experience. We talked about that. That was where the, uh, who, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Another green monster. But (laughs) (laughs) I went to my friend Mike's house, Michael, when we, he had just got a PlayStation 2. Like it was that Christmas. Mm -hmm. 
Christmas 2001, he got a he got a PlayStation 2. And PlayStation 2 doubled as a DVD player. Right. And one of the first DVDs he ever got was Shrek. And huh. he watched it in his room at a you know, stay overnight kind of thing. And you rocked out to somebody once Probably. told me. Probably. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yep, it's, it's, it's the, it was the go-to movie of teachers who didn't want to teach that day. Like, Spanish teacher didn't want to teach that day. <laughs> Will in the, you know, the big, the big Shrek. Will in the big TV, play Shrek. In yep. Spanish. No, just English for oh, Shrek. Okay. Well. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have history with Shrek? I'm, I watched it. I don't know. It wasn't, like, that prevalent in my life, I don't think. I'm, like, my younger sisters probably enjoyed it. It was in the, I think it was... It came out around the time, well, middle school, which I don't remember. Yeah, you were, you were like, you're in that, you know, shady middle school period where ch- children's shows and movies aren't as, you know, enticing <laughs> Shady, anymore. you say. Yeah, I know. I, I also think there was a time period that, like, I was very much like, it's popular. I don't like it. I've well since grown out of that. I was like, it's popular and I like it despite that. Or it's not popular at all. And I like, I like what I like, right? But uh, growing up, I was like, oh, Shrek is whatever. It felt the same about SpongeBob. I didn't really watch SpongeBob because I was like, okay, whatever. I don't get it. It's not my humor. And so I think Shrek fell into that like, oh, Shrek. And I was like, it's it's fine, I guess. I watched it that one time. It's got some funny jokes. It definitely has the SpongeBob irreverence. Yeah. 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 It's it's very it, similar. I was like, these those two things just together like created like <laughs> millennial meme humor. You yeah. Know? Like the, the meme humor we enjoy to this day and, and Gen Z loves it too. Yeah, that's Gen fair. Z loves Shrek. Um I I heard a story on a podcast of a one of the hosts, she has like a, a teenager, like preteen son, and she chaperoned like a school dance for his middle school. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> All-Star came on and all these 12-year-old kids in like 2019, kids <laughs> kids who were born after Shrek released, rocked out to All-Star by Smash Mouth because all of right. the Shrek memes. I mean, yo, you got a legacy. Yeah. Um, so like Shrek is like one of the like, you know, of the past 20 years, like the strongest cultural icon. Yeah. One of them. I can't disagree with you. I think that's absolutely it's, true. It's so weird. Though I can't. Say I know anything of the movies after Shrek. <laughs> uh, I, I, we'll, we'll get into his legacy. Shrek the yeah. Third. There's and too many stuff. Shreks. There's too many Shreks. Too many Shreks. Too many Shreks. Right, well, let's talk about how this movie was made because right. yes, it is based on a picture book. Okay, that's news to me. 1990, American children's book writer and cartoonist William Steig published the picture book Shrek. Shrek with an exclamation point about a repugnant green monster who leaves home to see the world and ends up marrying an ugly princess. He leaves home. Like, does he leave home like his parents or he just like I don't walks know. away? Is I, he a I kid? did not read Shrek. You were supposed to do research. Well, no. So this <laughs> this author, this children's book writer, like I went and looked at his other uh, books and it's like some of the covers I recognized as books that were, you know, present in my elementary school library. Huh. So like there was one that was like a like a rat dentist or something. Okay. Like a weasel dentist. Adorable. I've never yeah. heard of that. I don't think he did the uh, give a mouse a cookie. Oh, I love that one. But the, that, I that, that era of children's books, he mm. was he was a heavy hitter. Shrek was well received upon publication, and it soon caught the eye of one Steven Spielberg, who purchased the rights to the book in 1991. What were you doing in a kids section, dude? He's got kids. <laughs> I've got kids. Yeah, he he definitely had kids because he was talking about his dad guilt and Hook yeah. that year. Oh, in '99. Yeah, we or '91. '91. '91. We talked Hook. Yep. Uh, Spielberg planned to produce a traditionally animated feature film based on the book, which with stars like Bill Murray, 
and Dan Aykroyd considered for the role of Shrek and stars like Steve Martin or Chris Rock considered for the role of Shrek's donkey companion. I'm glad they were only considered. (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting. Very, that's a who's who of like early '90s, late '80s comics. Yeah, I'm yeah, definitely. But you know, Shrek is so iconic that I could not even begin to imagine what they would have done in the roles. And it sounds like it would have been a different yeah movie oh, yeah. altogether. Oh yeah. Fast forward to 1994, as we talked about in our 1994 movies episode, Walt Disney Studio chief and petty a hole Jeffrey Katzenberg was ousted from the company following a dispute with Disney CEO Michael Eisner and the Disney Board of Directors. Uh, What'd he do then? So yeah, this was like right around Lion King's um, release. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the Disney, I believe Disney president had passed away in a, in a helicopter crash or something. Oof. Yeah, plane crash. Um, and Katzenberg wanted the job. Mm-hmm. And he was like Keyed vocally, publicly like vying for this job. Mm-hmm. And everyone felt that he was overstepping his boundaries as the studio chief and he was told to leave oh wow and that resentment he held on to there's a reason we call him petty a-hole jeffrey katzenberg yeah it's because lindsey ellis said it yeah yeah <laughs> well, yeah because lindsey ellis the, the great coined the term content creator author lindsey ellis called him petty a-hole but there's a reason she calls him that <laughs> because Living up to his designation, Katzenberg, alongside Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, founded DreamWorks that same year to directly compete with Disney. Yeah. He's like, you, if Disney's going to fire me, I will be Disney's arch enemy. <laughs> Move out of the way, Bluth. <laughs> yeah, well, Bluth catapulted a career. You know. Yeah, Bluth was, Bluth was on the downturn. There, yeah. was, a, there was a spot. They need, we needed a second animation studio in America. Yeah. And Katzenberg was like, I'm your guy. It's me. Me and, me and Steven. And it's Steven. Steven. <laughs> in 1995, at the suggestion of producer John H. Williams, whose kindergartner son was a fan of the book, Katzenberg and DreamWorks decided to adapt Shrek into a live-action CG animation hybrid film with CG characters interacting with miniature live-action sets. What? So they would film live-action miniatures of the, you know, like the swamp, I, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. or the castle, and that would be all real-life little miniatures oh, and, just and have then have the- CG animated characters run around in those spaces. Is there a movie like that? I can't think of anything like that. Cause I'm I mean, trying to imagine. Well, what that is. I know that, um, Disney's dinosaur worked kind of like that. Disney's dinosaur from the year 2000 actually had real like life locations shot. Like they sh- went out and shot in like the mountains and stuff mm-hmm. and used live action backgrounds and then had CG dinosaurs on top. So I think that's the only one I could think of that does okay. that. Okay, and that movie didn't do very well. <laughs> no, that movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an interesting concept. I, I, I can't picture what it would be look like, and I never saw Dinosaur. If done right, it probably look, would have looked cool. Mm. After a year and a half of R&D, a test reel was produced and screened in May 1997. The results were not satisfactory, with Katzenberg stating, quote, it looked terrible. It didn't work. It wasn't funny. And we didn't like it. Oh, wow. <laughs> the studio then pivoted to producing a fully computer animated film with production partners, Pacific Data Images, PDI, in the style of their first animated feature, Ants. So, yeah, they had just made Ants. It's a good bug movie. I've not seen it. Uh, but that's a better as- bug movie. It established DreamWorks as the CG animated studio. Mm-hmm. And they were doing traditionally animated movies, too, like Prince of Egypt. Right. Uh, Road to El Dorado. Yes. But 
We're like, all right, we're going to make Shrek and it's going to be 3D animated. All those were good movies. They had a pretty good run there. Yeah. yeah. Them and Disney, both. Yeah. <laughs> it's Competition breeds good product. And it helps when Katzenberg just came from the studio and knew exactly mm-hmm. what Disney's release schedule was going to be. Yeah. And could make movies to directly compete with them. Yeah. That's how you get Ants and Bug Life. Yep. Uh, you get um, Rodel Dorado and The Emperor's New Groove. Right. And, and, I, and so Shrek came out the same year as Monsters, Inc., Ooh. And I think that might have something to do with it. You know, Shrek's kind of a monster. You know? Yeah, Monster Inc.'s way better. That's the movie that I watched. That's a good movie. Andrew Adamson, a technical director at PDI, and Kelly Asbury, uh, an artist who jumped ship from Disney to DreamWorks, were named directors in 1997 with Asbury. But Asbury left the project a year later to direct Spirit, Stallion of the Chimeron. Oh, the sexy horse movie. <laughs> The movie that spurred furries into existence. The movie that I fell asleep at at the drive-in. Oh, yeah. I wonder if you would enjoy it as an adult. I I, I probably should watch it. Yeah. yeah it, it, was, it was cool. We should do I a saw. double feature with Spirit and Wally because I haven't seen Wally more than once and I fell asleep. <laughs> Veteran artist Vicky Jensen stepped in to co-direct alongside Adamson. This was the directorial debut of both. Adamson and Jensen reportedly clashed with Katzenberg over how much Shrek should appeal to adults. For example, the directors wanted to add sexual jokes and Guns N' Roses music to the soundtrack, which Katzenberg saw as outrageous. Well. <laughs> they still got away with a lot, they did get honest. They did get away with a lot. Not that much. Yeah. But we have them to, you know, to credit for, yeah. for Shrek's kind of irreverence. Yeah. His soft R. Just kidding. There's no R. Definitely a, you know... PG. Yeah. Earns the PG. PG. Maybe maybe PG-12, like not quite 13, but... E-10. Mm. <laughs> e for everybody. Shrek's animation process resulted in 31 sequences with over 1,200 total shots. Animators who failed while working on the studio's other projects, such as The Prince of Egypt, were often sent to work on Shrek. Oof. The, res- <laughs> the reassignment was reportedly known as being Shreked. <laughs> Anyway, animation was completed in the year 2000. Okay. So this is like definitely the Motley crew of, of DreamWorks making Shrek. I mean, they didn't even know they had a hit on there. How do you fail at another... Pro- Oof. I mean, at least you didn't lose your It's job. sort of like with The Lion King. People who failed on Pocahontas went to work on The Lion King. Mm. Let's talk casting. Okay. Nicolas Cage no, was, in, was initially offered the role of Shrek, but mm. he turned it down because he did not want to look like an ogre. Which is such a Nick Cage thing to do. <laughs> He's like, you're not going to look like him, Nick. I was okay. I don't want to. I won't do that. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, hold on. What is a line from Shrek? I need it to be said in Nick Cage's voice immediately. Ogres are like onions. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm not a parfait. <laughs> I need a redub right now. <laughs> I need a redub right now of Nick Cage doing all the lines. Gosh. The role went to comedian Chris Farley instead. Uh oh. With the role of donkey. Yeah, with the role of donkey going to Eddie Murphy. Yeah, we, 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 we yeah, know how that goes. Yeah. Farley recorded nearly all of the dialogue for the character before passing away in 1997. Oof. Almost the whole movie. Oof. Would you like to hear some of it? Yes. This is from early like test footage uh, from Shrek, and it's. Word for word, the same dialogue from the final film, just with Chris, Chris Farley as Shrek. My ears are open. Oh, this is another one of those onion things. No, this is one of those 
drop it and leave me alone things. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? Well, why are you answering the question with a question? Why are you asking questions I don't want to answer? Why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Then why do you have problems expressing your wants? I don't. I want you to shut up. See? No problem. You're just displacing your anger. Believe me, it's properly placed. You're really mad at whoever did this to you. No one did anything to me. Yes, yes, yes. Someone hurt you so bad. Someone hurt you many years ago. Leave my parents out of this. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm just so used to Mike Myers' yeah. Shrek that it just sounds weird. Yeah, it, it. I don't want to say it falls flat. It's just Mike Myers' Shrek. Yeah, it's, it's not Shrek. Yeah. This is a different per person. Yes. It's a different character, yeah. Mm -hmm. DreamWorks thus recast Shrek with comedian Mike Myers, who insisted on a complete script rewrite to leave no traces of Farley's version of the character. And uh, I guess based on what we just heard, that didn't quite happen. But yeah, I was like, that's that's a weird thing. Is that a weird thing to ask for? Or is it like maybe it's just like, hey, I want this to be my character. You know? Yeah, like, I, I want to I don't want to like pretend to be Chris Farley. Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know what he thought of Chris Farley, but mm -hmm. a lot of people respected him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like maybe out of respect for Chris. Farley. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. But also it's like, man, uh, imagine having to uh, reanimate lip sync. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but after viewing a rough cut of the film in February 2000, he asked to re-record all of his lines with a Scottish accent instead, similar to the one his mother used when she told him bedtime stories. He? Yes, Mike Myers asked to re-record all of his lines. So they, so this movie work. has been recorded three times. And it, there was a mock-up. Like, the, the mouth was synced. Yep. Oh. No respect for animators. No. <laughs> None. If I've learned anything from Media Made, it's that. After hearing the alternative, Katzenberg agreed to redo all the scenes in the movie, saying, quote, it was so good, we took $4 million worth of animation out and did it again. Ooh. I mean. Parentheses, Myers disputes that figure. <laughs> but I, I'm like, I. I that it was a good. It was good. It was a good choice. Yeah. It, ended, it was it was a positive choice for him. <laughs> I'm sure a hassle for a lot of people. Yeah. And a waste of money. Yeah. The role of Princess Fiona originally went to Janine Garofalo. Oh my gosh. Yep, but she was fired for unexplained reasons. She cussed the whole time? <laughs> I don't know. Oh my gosh, just Fiona going like, where is your effing steed? <laughs> uh, years later, Garofalo stated, quote, I was never told why I was fired. I assume because I sound like a man sometimes. I don't know why. Nobody told me. But you know. The movie didn't do anything, so who cares? <laughs> In good spirits, I guess. I like her a lot. Uh, Does she sound like a man? No. That would have been a really fun thing, though. The role went to Cameron Diaz instead. Yep, it did. And she, she does a good job. She does a great job. Yeah. Shrek is notable for being an animated film that features pop music prominently, mm. which was novel at the time. Yeah. And we'll talk about like the legacy of Shrek and what it left behind as far as like setting the stage for animated features for the next two decades but the inclusion of smash mouth's 1999 hit all-star probably had a lot to do with it yeah shrek's filmmakers had originally intended to only use the song as a placeholder for the opening credits and intended to replace it with an original composition that would mimic the feel of all-star mm -hmm. however katzenberg eventually just suggested for them to just use all-star over the sequence instead yeah it just worked it did yeah. absolutely so I you watch the movie like they timed all of the animation for the opening sequence in the credits to match with all-star like, yeah that was done 
lyrically just, and, and yeah, music just piece. all of the just everything, the whole sequence. So it just made sense to just use All Star. Yeah, <laughs> that's how they got away with it in Gump too. <laughs> just kind of like no, no, no. Look, it's perfect. Spend all the money on the music. Yep. Smash Mouth was initially apprehensive about being involved in what was considered a family film, but DreamWorks was insistent on including the band's music in the film. After being granted an early screening of Shrek, the band members were impressed and ultimately agreed to license All-Star to appear in the film. They also performed a new rendition of the Monkees I'm a Believer for the ending scene after Katzenberg insisted that the film end with a big laugh. <laughs> so, All right. And that is the making of Shrek. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep, yep. So... What what did they make? <laughs> they made a movie about an ogre. <laughs> about an ogre, not well, a Chris Sage. Well, not- tell, let's let's meet our characters. Let's see what the movie's about. You know, okay. people for, for if you've been living under a rock for the last twenty years, like you know, here's what Shrek's about. Tell tell us. Shrek is about gentrification. <laughs> Can you explain? <laughs> gentrification is when no, um, Shrek is an ogre who lives in his he he owns his own property that's been in his family for generations and it's wide and open and he does what he likes to it swampy it's great let's get it hold on do you know what that thing could do to you yeah it'll grind your bones for its bread (laughs) yes well actually that would be a giant now ogres they're much worse They'll make a suit from your freshly peeled skin. No! They'll shave your liver, squeeze the jelly from your eyes. Actually, it's quite good on toys. Back! Back, please! Back! I warn you! Puts out a torch with his fingers. I love that there's just a sound in the background. It's like, scrape off your skin. No. No. Eat jelly. No. So yeah, Shrek is, he lives in the swamp alone. And he intends to keep it that way. Yeah. And we get these like, you know, angry villagers with their p- torches and pitchforks coming down to... To collect him. Yeah. Just, you know, harass him. Just mm. like he's like Frankenstein's monster or something. Yeah. Um, and that's when you find out that the, the king is uh, paying people to turn in magical people and creatures. And um, then the king is ejecting them from his kingdom. This is the part. And stand! Wanted fairy tale creatures? Yep, he's picked up this little flyer that's like, you know, hey, bring your fairy tale creatures to the state so that we can. It's like one of those. Round them up and evict them. One of those, we take gold (laughs) kind of things. Like, just give it, bring it to us. We'll give you cash for your gold. I will also say, I think. uh, I'm thinking more Nazi concentration camps. Oh, well. They're creating a ghetto for fairy tale creatures. That's what they're doing. This is true, but we did just leave a hard R, and I was letting this be a little bit nicer. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what happens. Yeah. I will also say, uh, uh, the king is probably more of a prince regent. He's not a king. He's a lord. He's not a king. That that's a plot point. We'll meet the we'll meet that character in a little bit. Okay. Yeah, but he he is a lord, not a king. Yes. Um, and so, yep, Shrek is now kind of trying to mind his own business, and he keeps running into these basically the the guards of this uh, this this kingdom. Yeah, this tr- fiefdom. Yeah, trying to like round up fairy tale creatures. And yeah, he wants none of it, but he just keeps getting involved. Are you there? 
Olga! Aye? By the order of Lord Farquaad, I am authorized to place you both under arrest and transport you to a designated resettlement facility. Oh, really? You and what army? And <laughs> away he runs. Yeah, Shrek's intimidating. Uh, before we get into a little bit farther, uh, I think maybe we should talk about uh, the the look of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's de- it's one of the earliest CG animated films. I think like the seventh overall CG oh. animated film released in America, like okay. fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have Pixar, and Pixar Pixar has been setting the standard, mm-hmm. right? And now now DreamWorks has entered the mold. Like how how. What do you think of the look of the film? Do you think it holds up? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess. it's very, I think it's hard because it's Shrek and I expect Shrek to look like that, right? It's not photorealistic, it's cartoonish, but it's Shrek. So it's like, yeah, no, it holds up. It looks like Shrek. I, I, I don't know if in the subsequent Shrek feel, films, if they like upped the stuff. It, it, get, it gets better. Okay, so then that I haven't seen any of those because I was like, I don't really see anything to approve other than the eyes. <laughs> but it's, it's like you go and watch Toy Story now. That movie's starting to show its age, mm-hmm. especially in terms of texturing. Uh, like, you know, it's sort of like they have a bunch of 3D objects and the textures just kind of like wrapped around them, like yeah. know, wallpaper or something. You know, yeah. there's no like you look, you look at a table, right? And you can see like the grain and the wood, you know. Um, in Toy Story, it's like it's just a texture over it or it's not even a texture it's just like a map yeah a mapping over the object i i haven't seen toy story in a while but i guess i'm picturing sid's face right now yeah like like the people look really the dog in toy story shrek like when we're watching i was like it looks pretty good Mm -hmm. um there's nothing that's aged other than the human characters like those guards all the humans in shrek have a very like (laughs) <laughs> particular type of face it's almost like lifeless it's it's yeah. almost robert zemeckis polar express level almost yeah. where it they all have kind of a vacant expression mm-hmm. uh you don't like their eyes not really <laughs> but you know it's not necessarily uncanny valley because it's not like you get a lot yeah of they're stylized still yeah that's why it's like almost there but it's it's still something about the faces and the way humans move like it's not quite animated very yeah. well it's very like the motion capture is not the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, just it's just the faces, mm-hmm. but everything else looks pretty dang good. Yeah. That opening sequence with Smash Mouth looked incredible. Yeah, for a movie from two thousand one. Gross little slimes that still look like slimes. Yeah, like the the water. Water. Yeah, like Shrek, like you know, jumps into the his little lake in his swamp to take a take a bath, and like the water looked great, mm-hmm. like bubbles and yeah, gloops. <laughs> Yeah, there was there were definitely some gloops. Yeah, no, you're right. Like I think it holds. I definitely think it holds up. But it's it's still weird for me because I'm like, yeah, Shrek. Like, yeah, you know, the backgrounds also look really good. Like there, mm-hmm. the scene where he encounters those soldiers is set in a forest, and it's very whimsical, mm-hmm. fairy tale like forest. Uh, but it look, you know, there's like it it, it looks solid. It's a mm-hmm. solid movie. The the all the landscapes they travel across because Shrek goes on a quest. And mm-hmm. he's traveling all you know over hills and mountains and forests, and everything looks pretty nice, pleasant, fairy tale like. Yeah, I think um, 
It, I think it would be interesting. I wonder if they built any of the models that they had wanted to do first. Well, yeah, because there was a like a, a show up. So I think having physical models as a, like something to reference off of yeah. while building those things definitely aided a lot in this. I, I think I'd want to see like maybe side by side comparisons of like Shrek Swamp because I think that's like a location they go to over several movies, right? Yeah. And so you see the swamp over the course from like, you know, Shrek to Shrek forever after or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be interesting to see how the technology has improved because like, I'm sure if we were to watch Shrek one and Shrek two, like, you know, right off, right after each other, mm-hmm. we'd see the, the, the advancement, but just yeah. watching Shrek one by itself, nothing really looks like it's aged yeah. other than the faces, but yeah. everything that's not a human face looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Like fur on, on donkey and, Scales on dragon. Uh, but let's let, let's meet our other main character. Mm. The the part two of this buddy cop, <laughs> this buddy road dynamic that we got. Who's that? Donkey. Well, yes, I was talking to you. Can I just tell you that you was really great back then, man? Those gods, they thought they was all of that. Then you showed up and bam, they was tripping over themselves like babes in the woods. See that? That that really made me feel good to see that. Oh, that's great. Really? Man, it's good to be free. Now, why don't you go celebrate your freedom with your own friends? Hmm? But, uh, I don't have any friends. And I'm not going out there by myself. Hey, wait a minute, I got a great idea. I'll stick with you. You a mean green fighting machine. Together we'll scare the spit out of anybody that crosses us. <laughs> uh, Eddie Murphy's killing it. Yeah. I think he's, got, he's the, I think he's the best performance in the movie. Other than like some of like the secondary characters that are just like funny to listen to, yeah, like, like throwaways, he has, like a freaking Pinocchio or mm-hmm, the, the gingerbread man. Like they're just funny, yeah, they have funny voices. But Donkey's got range, so yeah. Eddie Murphy does a fantastic job. Is like, he is he doing better than Mushu in Mulan? That's the question. Which is which is a better performance? The material's by different. The material's different, and he was sage advisor in one. Nope. And annoying hang on in the other. So I don't know. I think I don't I would have to watch them back to back or see quote clips of them tied to my side. But I'm like, eh, I like Mulan better. So I want to say Mushu, but I don't think that's fair because. Yeah, I I, I feel like just the comedic timing in Shrek works so well with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and I uh, yeah, I think that the movies are because he's more of a comedian, more like because he is a comedian, not more of a comedian. This works better for him in like the free flowing. I could see a you know the ad libs being taken a lot more in yeah. this than they would in Mulan, which is trying to do with a, a thing, a very important thing. You right, know? he just feels more free. Yeah, and he he I think he became like an executive producer of the Shrek series, mm-hmm. like like where he was like. He had a he had like final say in a lot of stuff yeah. regarding Shrek. So this was his baby, mm-hmm. and you feel it. I think he's really invested in this donkey character. Absolutely, and I think that being said, like moving away from the real person and into the character of Donkey, I think Donkey itself is such an interesting play uh, because he is a hanger on, right? Like he is a I don't know, right? Like I think Donkey is a little the opposite of smart. But how much of it is him intentionally just kind of like, no, I'm just going to keep going. If I'm here long enough, you're just going to get used to me. You know, like he, he you think he's going to be a one dimensional character. And the joke is he talks too much because he's yeah. a fairy tale creature. That's that's donkey in the movie mm-hmm. is he is also a fairy tale creature who's hunted 
by the state. Yeah. And he just runs into Shrek and just won't leave him alone. And obviously he doesn't want to get caught by the guards and locked up or whatever. Um, but he could just be a donkey that talks too much. And that's the yeah. joke. And it's just one joke. It, like, I feel like in, in Shrek 2, it becomes a little tiring because it is just him being annoying. Mm-hmm. Like they go on a road trip for Shrek's honeymoon. Another. Uh, why would you take? And, and, and or, or like, or they're going to go visit Fiona's parents mm-hmm. and, and they're traveling to the kingdom far, far away. <laughs> that's the name of it. That's the name of the kingdom. All right. And <laughs> donkey keep like the, the whole, it's a, are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? And he just keeps saying it. And that's when he starts to get tiring. But in this movie, you think he's going to be one, one note. But he's a parfait. Yes. Yeah. He's got layers. And, yeah. and there's more to Donkey than meets the eye. And the movie reveals a lot of heart mm-hmm. through Donkey. Yeah. It does a really good job of doing that and making you like care about this character that could be, you know, like I think this is one of those things where um, one of the first times where it's like, yeah, that's the side character. That's the princess's sidekick or whatever. But like, no, <laughs> not. Right. And having substance, like you're saying. Uh, it's really, it's a really interesting like turn for this, but also you do keep calling it a buddy, buddy cop. <laughs> it, it's or, a buddy uh, road movie. That's uh, yeah. what it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and they both pull their weight, Mike Myers and, and Eddie Murphy. Uh, I'm going to play this clip because if I don't, people are going to get mad. Can I stay with you? Uh, what? Can I stay with you? Please. Of course. Really? No. Please, I don't want to go back there. You don't know what it's like to be considered a freak. Well, maybe you do. But that's why we got to stick together. You got to let me stay. Please, please. Okay, okay. But one night only. Ah, thank you. Ah. What do you know? Oh, no. this is going to be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Literally, if anybody came to my house and was like, I'm spending over the night and tomorrow I'm making waffles, they're allowed. They got pass. Hey, kids, do you need a place to stay? Make me waffles in the morning. Like This is one of those scenes that's just quoted endlessly. Yeah. In the morning, I'm making waffles. Yeah. Like my cousin used to quote that all the time. We used to like recite this, that whole scene. Oh, wow. Verbatim to each other. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Can I stay with you, please? <laughs> you know, it's like we just, we knew every line. <laughs> uh. So cute. But, uh. Things take a turn, instigate the plot. What happens? <laughs> um, Shrek is trying to enjoy his nice dinner at home with Donkey sleeping outside. And uh, he hears a bunch of noises and he's like, Donkey, I told you not to come in. And then there are mice on his table and a dead girl. And there's a wolf in his bed. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's a bunch of fairy tale. Basically, the, the lord of the land has... Like evicted all the fairy tale creatures from his kingdom and told them to go live in the swamp. Yeah, and, without Shrek's consent. So all these like fairy tale creatures, like famous ones, you know, mm-hmm. like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, they like just have Snow White who's asleep, mm-hmm. like just on his table, and then he goes into his bedroom and <laughs> it's the 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 wolf in Grandma's clothes from yeah. Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like a wolf with a very manly voice. What? What? I love that. <laughs> uh, and Shrek is like, okay. What do I do to get these people out of here? Uh, hey, don't look at me. I didn't invite them. Well, gosh, no one invited us. What? We were forced to come here. By who? Lord Farquaad. He huffed and he puffed and he... 
Signed an eviction notice. <sighs> All right. Who knows where this Farquad guy is? Oh, I do. I know where he is. Does anyone else know where to find him? A lot of those voices end up being characters in the series moving forward. The the, the three little pigs mm. with the German accents. Oh, for a uh, second. Freaking Pinocchio. Absolutely. Oh, no, invited us. Yeah. You like really? Do you think they knew they like this was going to be such a hit that they were going to be making no, sequels? No, I don't think so. Yeah, and it, they just lucked into having a very funny cast of like secondary characters that yeah. they could pull from. Yeah. and I think a lot of these voices are just like members of the team. You know, like they're not <laughs> actual voice actors, but it's like he does a funny Pinocchio voice. Oh yeah, you know, you know? <laughs> and like the, the 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 gingerbread man. Yeah. Do you know the gingerbread man? Uh, oh, you know. <laughs> well, I will play that clip later. Don't <laughs> worry. It's the best scene in the movie. Torture scene is the best scene yes. of this child's movie? Yes. Ooh, honey. No, but yeah, like, I think this scene is done really well is because we do see the isolationism. The, we do see how much of an isolationist Shrek is. Yeah. Uh, and how far he goes to... Do, like, when he meets Donkey... Uh, and is being chased by those soldiers, he literally is putting signs in trees like beware ogre. He's like, stay away. It is the beware dog. He's like, yeah. I don't want nobody. He grudgingly lets Donkey come. Yeah, he's only on this quest to get these people out of here. Self it, it, At the beginning, it's very selfish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what quest? He's on a quest? Did we yeah, hear yeah, that yeah. He's, he's on a quest? He's, here we go. <laughs> okay, fine. Attention all... Fairy tale things. Do not get comfortable. Your welcome is officially worn out. In fact, I'm gonna see this guy Farquad right now and get you all off my land and back where you came from. He didn't mean to be a hero. He's not the hero we w wanted, but he's the hero we need right now. Right? Like, they are genuinely stoked. I think it's so, again, it's like one of those fun, like, comparisons where we're, like, looking at Shrek and then looking at how the world looks at him, right? Yeah. And he has a very specific stance on himself, and we'll get into it more, but he's just like, why would you want, I'm an ogre, who would want to be around? Hey, you're getting out of here. Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm nobody's hero, but these these fairy tales, and, like, I think he realizes, like, I'm doing this for myself. This yes. Is, do not, I'm not a hero, this is all for selfish gains, and I want you to leave. Like, oh. I'm being mean to you. And everybody's like, all we hear is that you're going to make it if possible for me to go back to my home. Yeah. Not that my mom will be here as I'm the three little bears child. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, the Goldilocks mama bear doesn't make it. She doesn't make it. Yikes. Um, but that so they set on their quest. Shrek and Donkey. That's the, the plot of the film is they are heading out to go meet with the Lord of this land to basically get the fairy tale creatures off of his land. Yeah. To do that, he needs to first complete a quest. Yes, but well, who who is this evil lord, the, the the villain of the movie? Lord Farquaad. Run, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. You're a monster. I'm not the monster here. You are. You and the rest of that fairy tale trash poisoning my perfect world. Now tell me, where are the others? Eat me. <laughs> I've tried to be fair to you creatures. Now my patience has reached its end. Tell me, or I'll... No, not the buttons. Not my gumdrop buttons. All right, then. Who's hiding them? 
Not my my comfortable buttons. He went into Eugene. <laughs> Not my buttons. Not my buttons. <laughs> he, I, I love that gingerbread man. He's so good. It's incredible. Uh, but, but describe Lord Farquaad for us. Uh, he's a tall man. No, he's not. It's the opposite. <laughs> he's a medium man. More nope. opposite. More opposite. He is quite a short person. You could say the men in his, of his statue are of in short supply. Boo! Now say it like Nick Cage. No. <laughs> he is, uh, as we heard, a monster. He's a uh, he is a supremacist of the human race i suppose and he is just a monster in general as you heard right there he uh is ripping off pieces of a being's body and crumpling him up he crumples the gingerbread man's leg and for like the rest of the movie gingerbread man has a cane (laughs) and no leg no leg uh he uh he just wants to rule it's it's land. all power for him yeah it's really. all power yeah yeah and he's compensating for something uh and ho- hold, hold on i gotta play the rest of this freaking gingerbread clip because i love it okay i'll tell you do you know the muffin man the muffin man the muffin man yes i know the muffin man who lives on drury lane well she's married to the muffin man the muffin man the muffin man <laughs> so so good <laughs> Sorry. It's definitely me, one of me indulging. You're fine. It's definitely one of those moments that you're just kind of like, yep, yep, mm-hmm. Culture. Yes, yes. And uh the Farquad, he gets a delivery, and we learn that he he's he's Lord Farquad. He's not King Farquad. Yes. And that's his like goal. He wants to be king, he wants supreme power. Mm-hmm. And uh the delivery is the magic mirror from Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall, is this not the most perfect kingdom of them all? Well, technically, you're not a king. Uh, Thelonious, you were saying? What I mean is, uh, you're not a king yet, <laughs> but, but you can become one. All you have to do is marry a princess. Go on. <laughs> so, just sit back and relax, my lord. Because it's time for you to meet today's eligible bachelorettes. And here they are. It becomes a dating game uh, parody. So the whole plot of this movie was uh, the mirror trying to save its face. The what? <laughs> the mirror trying to save yes, its face. Yeah. The mirror could have just shut up, you know. Yeah. It didn't say anything. And this whole quest wouldn't have happened. It would not have happened. Why did he get the mirror? What was he going to do with the mirror? Self-validation? It's like, is this not the... You can only tell the truth. Is this the fairest kingdom of them all? And the mirror's like, uh, well... (laughs) Well, I still can't lie, so I will spin this in my favor. Yeah, and so he, in in true dating game fashion, presents, you know, choices for Farquaad to pick from for his bride, I guess. And, uh, And, And condemns one of these hapless women to this maniac yep and uh the third choice is his choice and last but certainly not least bachelorette number three is a fiery redhead from a dragon guarded castle surrounded by hot boiling lava but don't let that cool you off she's a loaded pistol who likes pina coladas and getting caught in the rain yours for the rescuing princess fiona so will it be bachelorette number one bachelorette number two 
or Bachelorette number three. Lord Farquaad, you've chosen Princess Fiona. If you like Pina <laughs> we get Pina Coladas. Uh, and getting the, caught in the rain. Pina Colada song. She's uh, plenty of, uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the use of pop music. In, yeah. The, 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 Is that pop music? Yeah. yeah okay. Oh, yeah. That was the first time I heard that song as a oh. kid, for sure. Yeah. Well. I didn't even realize that was a joke. And that was like a popular <laughs> song that existed. It was just like, and they, you know, made my sister laugh. It made my mom laugh. You know, but <laughs> Understandable. Was, yeah. yeah. Um, so Farquaad, he's going to, he wants to rescue fin- Princess Fiona from this fire-breathing dragon in her castle uh, and marry her so he can become a king. Yep. Uh, the problem is he's also a wiener. Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, fearful. Uh, he's, like, just spineless, really. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is not a doer. He is a commander. Yeah, he's not going to go out and save this woman himself. He needs a champion to do it for him. Yes. And by, you know, circumstance, Shrek becomes his champion. Yeah. Of you lock, I give you our champion. What? Congratulations, Ogre. You've won the honor of embarking on a great and noble quest. Quest? I'm already on a quest. A quest to get my swamp back. Your swamp? Yeah, my swamp, where you dumped those fairy tale creatures. Indeed. All right, Ogre, I'll make you a deal. Go on this quest for me, and I'll give you your swamp back. Exactly the way it was. Down to the last slime-covered toadstool. And the squatters? As good as gone. Honestly, I especially watching this the last time, this this scene was like, I had a lot of like problems with it. Not problems like from like the actual movie standpoint, but just kind of like, if I was in this world, like I have a lot to say about the the fiefdom that he rules. But like, I need a champion. Am I going to send my most trusted or anything to get this woman that I'm going to marry? Nah, let's have a battle, like a battle royale with all of our knights to fight for this honor while then taking out like bo- ably bottled men, bodied men in this. He's a bad and then, leader. And then he's like, oh, we'll go with the magical creature because I know I said they all need to die and we hate them but not if they're useful to me. I just don't want anything that's more powerful than me just hanging around. If it's powerful, but works for me, that's fine. Yep, he's he's Hitler. <laughs> yeah. He's horrible, yeah. Lord Farquaad is a bad person, despicable. A Stalin. <laughs> so that's actually kind of like the end of the first act. Shrek mm. has, Shrek kind of has how like a, it works for the movie, but it is has a wonky pacing. Like yeah. it's opening act is pretty like, stacked mm-hmm. there's a lot going on a lot to get to the the basically the the main thrust of the story here mm-hmm. where it's shrek and donkey on a quest to rescue a princess from a castle from a dragon yeah that's it's your standard fairy tale plot yeah but it's funny because it's it, it's you know a mean ogre and a you know an annoying donkey the more you talk about this the more i can see it being a D campaign oh yeah <laughs> i um yeah, you're right. Like the pacing is really weird because I think the middle bit, the middle act is so slow, like not slow, but like slows down 
because it is not as pa- it's literally like it's not like things happening. It's more like, hey, we're going to like dwell with these characters. Yeah. And, like, they'll and learn we, about each other. We wander our way back, whereas like and it's potential. It's part of the, the plot itself. But it's like we got to the mountain in a day. It takes us it takes us several. Yeah, it's it's like basically a montage from here to the castle. Mm-hmm. And the second act is basically they rescue the princess who we'll meet in just a second. Um, and then they wander their way back. And rather than a montage, you get a bunch of scenes that's yeah. just all character. Yeah. And, you know, and a few like gags. Yeah. You know, fun little gags. But um, and another montage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a character driven. montage. Yes. Yes. But like it definitely the pacing is much slower, much different than it was in the opening. Yeah. But the opening has a lot of setup, I guess. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to you have to build this world. You have to know who the main players are, mm-hmm. who the main characters are, and like you build up Shrek's character, which I think they do a pretty good job of. Yeah. And at the beginning, you see the starting point, and they move on. Um, so it's like it's definitely un it's definitely unorthodox mm-hmm. as far as pacing of a movie, but it totally works in this movie. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, and speaking of that princess, Princess Fiona, they Shrek rescue rescues her. From the fire-breathing dragon mm-hmm. in the castle in the volcano, and uh, it's, you learn that it's it's not exactly what she was hoping for. <laughs> Wake up! What? Are you Princess Fiona? I am. Awaiting a knight so bold as to rescue me. Oh, that's nice. Now let's go. But wait, Sir Knight! This beeth our first meeting. Should it not be a wonderful, romantic moment? Yeah. Sorry, lady. There's hey, no time. wait! What are you doing? Y- you know, you should sweep me off my feet out yonder window and down a rope onto your valiant steed. You've had a lot of time to plan this, haven't you? Mm-hmm. 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 I wonder how long she's been locked up there. Her whole life. That's a very long time. Yeah, like since she was a little girl. Mm, that's not a whole life, then. Most of her life. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Princess Fiona, I think, is a great character. Again, it's like she starts off one note and then they flesh her out. You know, yeah. all, all three, all three of the main cast, Donkey, Shrek, and yeah. Fiona. It's like they start one note as the archetype and then mm-hmm. they build layers like one would do an onion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On top of all three. And like they Donkey less so, but Fiona and, and Shrek are like very well developed by yeah. the end of this movie. Yeah. And she's like, she's your your standard damsel in distress, mm-hmm. which she's got a lot of you know preconceived notions about how this is supposed to go, yeah. and when things don't go right, she panics a little she, bit. That's right, that's rightfully so. You didn't slay the dragon. It's on my to do list now. Come on. But this isn't right. You're meant to charge in, sword drawn, banner fight. That's what all the other knights did. Yeah, right before they burst into flame. That's not the point. Oh. Wait, where are you going? The exit's over there. Well, I have to save my ass. What kind of knight are you? One of a kind. Also, for probably first animated film I'd seen use that word before. Knight? <laughs> Gotta save my... Yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't seen ants. I know ants curses as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like this, that was... Uh, yeah. I, I think there oh, were like... No. Aw, like Maybe I'm misremembering, but I think there were audible gasps in the theater when we saw this. Probably like, from <gasps> mothers and fathers. Yeah. Yeah. And kids. But uh, hey, scandalized. Sh- Shrek got away with it. It did. Yeah. And I think um, this is such a great introduction of uh, Fiona and seeing like that she's a little bit overbearing, that she's a little type A, whatever that means, uh, and that she's still 
like pick, like picking at him, even though all right, she doesn't know the dragon's not dead, not slayed yet. But when she finds out, I'd be like, okay, time to be quiet. There's a large lizard in here looking for us. She is like, she, it's like the yeah, the perfect you know getaway, right? He's like mm-hmm. the perfect man, the perfect escape plan. You know, it's like the perfect moment, the perfect kiss, all planned and out. She's like, aren't you gonna read me a, like a poem, a limerick? <laughs> you know? Uh, he's like, nope, <laughs> nope. She reminds me of, uh, sorry, then we go, we go to Scrubs, the, the television series Scrubs. Never heard of it. There's a season where Elliot uh, wants to get married and she has this like, ex- it needs to go exactly this way. And she has to say like, yes, yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and the way her, her boyfriend like proposes to her in the way she doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. So she's like, no, no, we have to do this again in a week. You, you have to, you have to do it right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So she, yeah. That's Fiona reminds me a lot of Elliot yeah. from Scrubs in this moment. Yeah. They're like, no, they're I want it to be perfect. Girl, just get out the castle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's basically the setup for the movie. Yeah. Uh once again, I love I love this dragon escape sequence. It, mm-hmm. lo- it looks great. Yeah, it still looks really good. It's moody, it's it's very like a fairy tale, obviously. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of The Legend of Zelda. We talked about that when we watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, I was really big into Zelda by this point. I'd just be getting into it. And uh, just the castle escape reminded me of adventure video games and movies that I enjoyed. Up, You know, even, even books. We were reading, uh, I was reading fantasy novels by this point, you know, mm-hmm. like not Lord of the Rings or anything, but like, you know, kids fantasy novels I was getting into. Yeah. And Shrek reminded me of, of all that stuff. So Yeah. Having a visual of yeah. it was probably really exciting. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, honestly, Shrek would be a great D&D setting. Yeah. Honest, you know, just pick your most like ugliest or meanest or silliest <laughs> archetype in the D&D canon I'm, and go for it. You I'm going to play as the ginger man, but I'm also a berserker. <laughs> he had a lot of anger in him. So from here on, we'll sprinkle in more of the, you know, the events of the film. But, you know, we're just kind of going to jump into different topics mm-hmm. at this point. You know, hey, if you haven't seen Shrek. Don't see it. Just go watch Shrek. Like <laughs> seriously, you do yourself a favor. Watch Shrek. It's it's definitely like an important movie to see. You know, like if if you're older than if you're like you know you're Gen X or something, you know, and you haven't seen Shrek, you don't know all these kids are you know on about. Just go watch it. It's it's it, it's it's worth your time. Uh, but we want. I want to like Shrek is important for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and it it, it revolutionized the the medium that was children's animation Mm -hmm. and we'll talk a bit more about especially with his legacy we'll talk more about it but like i think in a lot of ways so 2001 the disney renaissance is over yep it is it is done you know we're we 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 talked uh emperor's new groove 2000 right Mm -hmm. and that was not a renaissance film as far as like the canon goes yeah it's post-renaissance yeah uh that and lilo and stitch and Treasure Planet were like the last three good ones mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. And then you got mediocre to bad movies <laughs> from Disney for like five to six years. Yeah. Maybe even longer. <laughs> Arguably to Tangled. Yeah. Tangled um, was good. In, in that way, Shrek it very much is a deconstruction, a conversation about the Disney Renaissance canon. Or mm-hmm. like, D- Disney in general. Mm-hmm. Going all the way back to Snow White. Because... Disney obviously draws a lot of its inspirations from uh, fairy tales, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so all the way back from their first film. Yeah. So Shrek has a lot to pull from. You know, it's like, hey, we're in a lot of ways. Shrek just maybe I, I think the the children's book was a deconstruction of fairy tales in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like make a fairy tale story, but it stars an ugly ogre. <laughs> 
the villain in your tales usually. So this movie is not only deconstructing fairy tales and fairy tale narratives and, and, and just the archetypes of fairy tales and the characters and stuff. It's doing it's it's lampooning Disney's versions of those characters. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've I've got quite a few different examples of them, like just straight up making fun of Disney's versions of these classic characters, right? So, so Go ahead. yeah, uh, just a few. So we got Pinocchio. We've uh, we heard from earlier, but this is Geppetto, <laughs> Geppetto from Pinocchio giving his son away to the guards because he's a fairy tale creature. Next, what have you got? This little wooden puppet. I'm not a puppet. I'm a real boy. Five shillings for the possessed toy. Take it away. Father, please. Don't let me do this. Next. No. What have you got? Please. Father. No. <laughs> shout out to. Uh, no shout outs. Shout down. Shout. Polly Shore is Pinocchio. Uh, but Button up. <laughs> I'm a real. Like the phrase, I'm a real boy. I think most people just. just like. Yeah. That is from Pinocchio. But yeah. most people associate it with Disney's Pinocchio. Yes. You know. Father, please! <laughs> Five shillings for the possessed toy. It's like just making fun of Disney. Yeah. Poking fun of them. And then obviously this is from the same scene where Donkey's going to get turned in mm -hmm. to the guards. And uh, he ends up accidentally getting sprinkled with fairy dust from Tinkerbell. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the fairy of... That makes you fly. Of, uh, Peter Pan. Yes. Hey, I can fly! He can fly! He can fly! He can talk. <laughs> That's right, fool. Now I'm a flying talking donkey. You might have seen a house fly, maybe even a super fly, but I bet you ain't never seen a donkey fly. <laughs> so one, that is a reference to Disney's Peter Pan. Yep. He can fly, he can fly, he can <laughs> fly. That's, or I can fly, I guess. Yeah. That's the song. They say it. I can yeah. fly, I can fly, I can fly. That's direct reference to Disney's Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. And then the... I'm sure you've seen a house fly, maybe even a super fly. That is a reference to D Dumbo. <laughs> Disney's Dumbo. Yeah. Yep. They're like pa packing them all in. Yep. And it is. So it goes beyond reference, though. I think it also is deconstructing the actual characters present in these fairy tales, you know, mm -hmm. or just like the circumstances they're in. Right. And like adding, adding literalism to the readings of these children's fairy tales, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah. In the scene where Farquaad is talking to the magic mirror and the magic mirror is giving him the, the dating game shtick, mm -hmm. he, uh, Fiona was bachelorette number three. Do you remember who bachelorettes one and two were? Cinderella. Yep. Snow White. Uh-huh. So listen to the way they're described here. Bachelorette number one is a mentally abused shut-in from a kingdom far, far away. She likes sushi and hot tubbing anytime. Her hobbies include cooking and cleaning for her two evil sisters. Please welcome Cinderella. Bachelorette number two is a cape-wearing girl from the land of fancy. Although she lives with seven other men, she's not easy. Just kiss her dead, frozen lips and find out what a live wire she is. Come on, give it up for Snow White. I think he just like the way they describe those two characters is funny to me. Like mm -hmm. Cinderella, she's an abu emotionally abused girl from, you know, like it's just, yeah, in, in real yeah. life, you know, the, the life she lives, she'd be pretty much emotionally abused. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. And probably physically at some points. Yeah. And like, yeah, we're going to talk about that. And then Snow White, the, the, the way they describe, yeah, just, just kiss her on her cold, dead lips. <laughs> it's like, 
that's like the least romantic thing in the world, you know, like romantic in the romance, romance yeah. sense, you know, like if you really think about it, it's like there's nothing romantic about no, kissing this this lifeless woman. woman. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously now there's a conversation. It's like, well, you know, there's there's questions of consent here. Yeah. You know, Maybe. but it, it doesn't go into that. But no. still, like looking at these characters from a more literal view, it's like they're they're kind of absurd, mm-hmm. you know, and the the the, the magical fancy of these fairy tales kind of can be poked fun at now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like the idea as, as a whole, like even wrapped up in the magic mirror thing, you know, where we're just like, yep, yeah, this mirror is going to cause problems or this mirror is going to like, it's supposed to be like you said, right? Like this kind of like, Oh, here's the truth. And it's just like, let's just play that for a real, you know, yeah, yeah. like the we're ma- going to be the- supposed, if we're going to be spying on people's lives, then like, let's just make, a reality TV show. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like the magic mirror from it, it is it, it looks just like the one from Snow White, Disney yeah. Snow White. Um, but now it now it's it's an announcer. Yeah. It's, it's like a mix of like uh you know the 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 announcer from the Tonight Show mixed with like a game show host mixed yeah. with like Ryan Seacrest. Because <laughs> I they they do like freaking American Idol style gimmicks in later movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Simon Cowell is a character in the Shrek universe. Oh, you, in well, case you didn't know, Sir, Sir Simon, I, I think. I did not know. Yeah, yeah. But so, all right. And the, the mirror plays that role of the Ryan Seacrest, you know, <laughs> Master of Ceremonies type guy. All right. Here's one I feel like is especially uh, mean-spirited, you know? Mm-hmm. It kind of, you know, plays the, yeah, we're making fun of Disney in particular. <laughs> is and the, we're not hiding it. No, in the opening of the film. So the the very first shot of Shrek, it opens. It, it's a it's a book like a, like a fairy tale book mm-hmm. that opens up, and that is something that Disney used to do all the time. Yeah. In their early animated films, but basically have a, a a book that would open up and read you the tale. Cinderella opens that way. I think mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty does. Um, Winnie the Pooh opens that way. Yeah. Which is like you know a book magically opens to reveal the story. Mm-hmm. Shrek opens the exact same way, and uh, you know you hear a. Um, voiceover? You hear a voiceover. It's, it's Mike Myers reading the voiceover of the, the legend of, of Princess Fiona. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, there was a lovely princess. But she had an enchantment upon her of a fearful sort, which could only be broken by love's first kiss. She was locked away in a castle guarded by a terrible fire-breathing dragon. The music, the presentation, the narrator, it's all very Disney. Yes. Uh, and, and then the story goes on and ends this way. Many brave knights had attempted to free her from this dreadful prison, but none prevailed. She waited in the dragon's keep, in the highest room of the tallest tower, for her true love true love's first kiss <laughs> like that's ever gonna happen oh, what does he do uses the book as toilet paper it's it's shrek in an outhouse yep and they are literally crapping on disney yeah that's that's the joke <laughs> yeah we're crapping on fairy tales and we are crapping on walt disney company yep and that's I think that's what sold Katzenberg a lot on this movie. It's like, because hey, he's petty. <laughs> yeah, he's petty. I want to make a movie that just craps on Disney. Yeah, because they're they're at this point. They're an evil company. 
They, they, you know, they messed with me. Mm-hmm. They messed with my creatives. Um, I'm petty. I'm a jerk, you know, but you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to punch Stick up. it right to them. Yeah. We're going to punch up and hit the mouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like knowing that though, like what you, with what you said before, like it makes sense the things that did get away with. Cause you're like, this is not a kid's movie with the stuff they wanted to put in, but all the stuff that stays are like one, two punches to Disney. Like yes. those are the hardest hits. And he's like, that's fine. Yeah. He, it, in a lot of ways, it's honestly, it kind of hits, hits a little different now too. Cause back in the day, Disney was at the height of their powers with the Renaissance and now they're coming down. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so they had just had come off this, gigantically successful period in their career you yeah know, disney uh their their output was like you know pinnacle right um if this had been released a few years later it probably wouldn't have hit as hard because mm-hmm. you know disney wasn't doing the, the juggernaut that it yeah. was before crapping on disney now even it, it feels even more cathartic because disney <laughs> is now this the conglomerate overlord. yeah it owns everything and is acquiring all these other companies you know it's like it's it's the media company in the world you know so it's like disney deserves to be crapped on you know like in a way it's like be taken down they're 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 a punching bag because they're the top dog i mean it i'm not one for just kind of like throwing punches to throw punches but some of them are funny like you could take it you could take a little you could take a little yep and uh, let's let's talk about Farquaad's castle. His his basically his castle town is called Duloc. So that must be Lord Farquaad's castle. Uh-huh, that's the place. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> How would you describe Duloc? Clean. Very clean and organized. Very clean and organized would you with say very it, literate people. Would you say it's based on anything? Nothing comes to mind. Duloc is Disneyland. Yes. Duloc looks just like Disneyland. Yes. Um, the California one. Well, yes. Yes. Uh, they they go in. There's a, like a velvet rope uh, and, and like a queue, like a line yeah. to get in, just like Disneyland. Um, the the open like uh, they walk into Duloc and the Main Street looks like Main Street USA from yeah. Disneyland. Exactly. Like yeah. The layout is. Almost exactly the same. Huh. So, yes, Shrek is not only making fun of Disney's like animated features; they are making fun of Disney, the company. Just as every yeah. property, like like Disneyland, yeah, you know, like the, this this monolith to Disney, we're <laughs> making fun of that too. Uh, and they go to like a little informations booth, and uh, what does it do? It gives informations singularly. <laughs> And that was that was horrible and annoying, <laughs> but it was on purpose because they're ma- they're just making fun of a small world. They are just making fun of a small world. Yes, I feel like even if you've never been on it's a small world, you know what it is. Yeah, um, it's actually so. I b- back when I was you know like middle school, high school, I was watching a lot of DVDs, mm-hmm. you know, listening to commentaries, watching special features. Like it just that's what I enjoyed doing. 
and I remember watching the Shrek deleted scenes. I can't remember if this was a deleted scene or if it was cut early on, but they, before Shrek and Donkey go into the castle in the volcano to rescue Fiona, they, it, rather than cross like a rope bridge to get across, they actually enter through a back door, mm. which basically served as like a, it was like a roller coaster ride. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and they like it was like maybe like a mine shaft, like they got into a mine cart and it was almost like a like a. Yeah, I vaguely remember the scene. It, it didn't happen. It, yeah, it, it was definitely like in the deleted scenes. Like I saw test footage of it, mm-hmm. but it was a also a parody of It's a Small World <laughs> because they they had like you know creepy, you know doll like figures singing, um... you know, and I guess maybe they reused the the idea to make fun of Small World here, mm-hmm. but yeah they. It was totally intentional. The, cr- the the crew knew what they were doing. They wanted to make fun of Disney in every aspect of Disney. You know, like the things. That Do you d- think the crew was also just a little salty that they weren't working Well, apparently one of the co-creators left Disney to yeah. go to DreamWorks. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. They're like, let's do it. Yep. And uh, the most uh, the most scathing of all. And this one's a theory. But I think there's a lot of credibility to it. <laughs> And you know this one. Yes. Uh, the main villain, Lord, Lord, Farquaad, Lord Farquaad, allegedly is modeled after Disney CEO Michael Eisner. Allegedly. If you look at pictures of them side by side, they do look very similar. Uh, prominent jaw lines. Like Michael Eisner has a very you know, prominent jaw. Uh, Lord, Lord Farquaad looks very similar. Uh, I don't know how tall Michael Eisner is, but I think people make fun of him for his height. Oof. So that I think there's I think there's a lot of evidence there. Not confirmed, but I think the idea was we want Lord Farquaad to basically be a parody of Michael Eisner because he's the evil overlord. Katzenberg is a is a petty a-hole. Yeah. <laughs> we... Yep. So that in a way, that's like Shrek's mission. Yeah. On one level is to Shrek as a movie, not Shrek as the, the person. Yeah, Shrek the movie. One of its missions is to tear down Disney. Yeah. You know, give 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 Disney a taste of their own medicine. How do you feel like they did on that mission? Great. <laughs> like, it's so clever. Like, just the, yeah, we're crapping on Disney by having basically using their their storybook format yeah. to wipe Shrek's butt. It's like. <laughs> it's like, mm, good, good, good. Let's put that in the opening. Yeah, it's, it's it, I think they did a good job. And I think they wear it out the, this kind of stuff wears out, wears out its welcome in later Shrek movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as. It doesn't hit quite as hard. One, because Disney was not the Disney from mm-hmm. a few years before. But two, it's just like, you know, yeah. you can only do this so much, you know. Yeah, that's true. And then also feeling like, well, if you're already down, then I've accomplished what I wanted to. Yeah, like, and I you don't... can only make fun of so many Disney fairy tales. It's like that's once true. I, I think they've hit them all, honestly. Yeah. You know, maybe they even have a, a King Arthur character in one of the movies. Yeah, but, you know, if Kingdom Hearts can keep coming, <laughs> Shrek can't <laughs> <too. no. laughs> Maybe we should have a Shrek video game next one of Kingdom Hearts. Ugh. Uh, um, yeah, so that's that's all I have to say about the, the Disney angle. Mm-hmm. I feel like Shrek was very effective in that yeah. way. Yeah. You know? Um, and it, it's fun to look at it from that angle mm-hmm. because it's 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 almost pervasive throughout the entire film. Yeah, you know? but so, I think like also if you're not really looking for it, you don't know. So like if you haven't seen it or you're going to see it again, like really like look at those. There's yeah. some, probably some we didn't even cover. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but the great thing about Shrek is even though it's, it's, it's a lampoon, it's a farce, it's a, it, it's a satire really. Mm-hmm. It also is a good movie with good characters and heart. Yeah. 
like at the end of the day, it's like that's why Shrek was so popular and successful is because on top of just the, the mean spiritedness and the scathing satire, it still had strong characters with heart. Yeah, and I, I can't disagree with that. Like, because we've been talking about like being able to see the growth of each of the characters so easily. Uh, and they they do. I think they came in heavy uh, and not in a bad way, but came in with the analogy of like, we have layers and then pragmatically we're able to like show not to tell those things. Yeah, th this is basically Shrek gives you its thesis statement in this scene. And then from there, builds on it. Yeah. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay. Um, ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. <laughs> oh, they make you cry? No. Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No. Layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers. You get it. We both have layers. <sighs> Ogres have layers. Humans have layers. Hey, you know, like you're right. I, I love. I love that you say saying that it is the thesis statement because that's a hundred percent what it is. And taking it slowly, and also even in that pointing out because as much as Don like Donkey is being annoying and talking and everything, Shrek is like. Ogres are more than people think they are. And he was like, I just think you're a bro that we're, I'm going like, I'm not people. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But um, him feeling the need to point this out to Donkey in canon, like in the universe of Shrek, but also to the character, right? Like, or to the audience, like you have expectations, but there's more. It's good. And I think that's like the strongest theme in the movie is like, don't, like, you know, in a very, like, uh, uh, a parable kind of way. Don't judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. you know, we've all heard that, you know. Um, but, like, look beyond appearance, right? Yeah. Like, people are more than what they appear on the surface. Yeah. Right? And it applies to nearly every character in the movie, besides Farquaad, who is just evil from the start <laughs> to finish, you know. Fair. Uh, uh, but but it's present in Shrek, obviously, because he's an ogre who has layers. Uh, it's present in Donkey, Fiona. Bunch of characters. So I have a bunch of moments that I have queued up that we could talk about. But uh, is there a particular character you want to talk about first, or I want to start with Shrek because we've been spending the most amount of time with him, and then go to Fiona. Okay. So there's one moment in, 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 that I spotted in our most recent viewing that I'd never really noticed before, but I think it does a lot to show, not tell Shrek's character, mm. and it, it's such a little magical moment. And it happens early in the film when Shrek meets Donkey. Mm -hmm. Listen, little donkey, take a look at me. What am I? Uh, really tall? No, I'm an ogre. You know, grab your torch and pitchforks. Doesn't that bother you? Nope. Really? Really, really. Oh, man, I like you. What's your name? Uh, Trek. Shrek's facial animation there sells this moment because it's like, doesn't that bother you? Nope. <laughs> and like, he kind of is taken aback because I think Shrek has never met another human or uh, sorry, being he, creature. He's never met another creature that isn't afraid of him or thinks of him as this like vile ogre that needs to be avoided or, yeah. or fought, you know? And, and he, he gets vulnerable in that moment where he's like, really? And like, he kind of like, 
he even his full body like goes from being super tense and like you know kind of presenting like mm-hmm. I'm the strong evil ogre yeah. to like he just relaxes for a second and he lets Donkey in a little bit. I was like, it's such a little nice moment that I never noticed before. But it shows that Shrek leans into the evil ogre persona because that's all anyone's ever thought of him. You know, so it's like he's buying into it. You know, it's like, listen, I'm 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 an ogre. You're supposed to fear me. Yeah, it's almost like he's been brainwashed to the the thing as well, right? Like that. I am. I am whatever they say I am. Yeah, like, and that's sad. Like when you really think about it, because. He is crotchety, but I think a lot of that is like due to the nature of uh, how he's lived his life up yeah, to this point. Yeah. But like even just having that small window of like, oh, like there's a possibility that it, rather than him reinforcing, reinforcing like, well, you should be now do it like like he would prefer that. Right. He doesn't like reach for that. He just caught off guard. Right. And and I think that that gives you the little window into it and then mm-hmm. obviously we have conversation about the onions and shrek thinks of himself as a complicated person um and we get this really nice scene in the second act of the movie after they've saved fiona it's it's shrek and donkey sitting by a campfire looking up at the stars mm-hmm. and shrek you know gets open hey what's your problem shrek what you got against the whole world anyway huh look i'm not the one with the problem okay it's the world that seems to have a problem with me People take one look at me and go, ah, help, run! A big, stupid, ugly ogre. (sighs) They judge me before they even know me. That's why I'm better off alone. And there's so much, like, sadness in in the performance there, right? Like, where it's resigned. Mm -hmm. It's rather than, uh, then that's the way you want, you know, like... That's just the fact of life. Yeah, and resignation is not a way you want to live in relation to other people because <laughs> we got to deal with people too often. Yeah. And, and, and in this scene also, it's like, I think donkey is trying to like get him to open up a little bit more and, and donkey. Like, he's like, well, I never thought of you that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I think there's value in what Shrek says there, because I think it also, it, you, you, you can't show it in an audio clip, but Fiona is currently high, like, hiding in a, in a little room that she's made for herself next to a rock. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's just you know, built a little, it's like a little room she's made for herself with a door. No yeah. one can see her, but you see her head poke out for just a second. And she hears what he says right there. It's mm-hmm. like, people judge me before they even know me. And I think that's a moment where Fiona's character starts to, mm-hmm. you know, look beyond the superficial, you know, like, oh, you're an ugly ogre. You're yeah. not a Prince Charming. Yeah, because like, and to jump back, right, a little bit to their first meeting, um, even in that, right, like Shrek for that whole thing is like finally getting here with Donkey, antagonizing him. We got across the bridge. I'm going to put on a helmet so that I can fight this dragon. We're going to drop physics to the side and we're going to do all these things. And he's like not necessarily having a good time, but he's not having a bad time. He's out there. He's exercising. He's doing a bunch of stuff. It's kind of fun for him and he's rescued the princess he's being snappy and witty and he's talking about his donkey and then he like defeats the dragon without having to kill it and um is out and he's just like great wonderful like that's great for his self-esteem like he's been hanging out with donkey for the whole montage to get here and it's probably softened his onion up a little bit um to be able to enjoy part of this quest that is just gonna like help him and then fiona's like 
I would like to see the face of my sewer. And you see him shrink into himself as much as you can in a cartoon orger being like, uh, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Like, because with this mask on, he can be whoever, even though his arms are still green. <laughs> she didn't notice that. She's very caught up on the face that she wants to kiss. Um, And then as soon as it comes down, even though Donkey was like, oh, I don't care. Like, what are you talking about? I don't think that about you. Immediately, uh, an ogre. Yeah, she's like, you're not supposed to be an ogre. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. just be like, well, the non-ogre couldn't be bothered to risk himself for you, but I'm here, you know? And like that feedback, like, of course, nobody expect me to be like smart enough. Like you just called me brave and, and daring as I like literally defeated a dragon that you'd been stuck by. Fine, whatever. And then gets right back onto his grouchy, picks her up and hurdles away because that's yeah. all I am. I'm just a meaty uh, mercenary. A, and if that's big, what you stupid, want me to be, ugly ogre. let's go, you know? And so I think that it's, it. there's a lot of moments that really like tuck that in as small, small itty bitty moments. Yeah. And then this is a turning point for Fiona where she starts as someone you think is going to be strictly obsessed with the 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 physical mm -hmm. you know superficial the shallow um this is an ogre i don't you know he's he's not a hero he's you know he's not noble he's just a you know horrible monster yeah um but then after that night she overhears shrek get open and she starts to reveal certain things about herself that you know one wouldn't expect from a proper princess yeah shrek what it's a compliment Better out than in, I always say. <laughs> well, there's no way to behave in front of a princess. Thanks. She's as nasty as you are. <laughs> you know, you're not exactly what I expected. Well, maybe you shouldn't judge people before you get to know them. Oh, turning it on, on him. <laughs> also, it's like, I, this might be the only scene in cinema history where a belching scene is used to carry on it's character flirty. development and flirty. <laughs> no, but it's like character development car carried through a belching scene. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen that before. That's, mm, you're right. It's so weird, but it works. And um, I think you you were saying, right? Like she grows from being like someone who seems to be very focused on the physical, the aesthetic and different things like that to seeing beyond that, being pushed to see beyond yeah. that. But also like that she has it wrapped up in her character, her curse, a, a reason why she's so focused on that. Like a curse, you say princess. What happened to you? You're a, uh, uh, different. I'm ugly. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, was it something that you ate? Cause I told Shrek those rats was a bad idea. You are what you eat. I said, now no, I, I've been this way as long as I can remember. What do you mean? Like, I ain't never seen you like this before. It only happens when the sun goes down. By night one way, by day another, this shall be the norm. Until you find true love's first kiss, and then take love's true form. Uh, hold on. I, was, I, I had... I had Consider not like using that clip because I was like, is that a spoiler? But then I was like, if you've seen any promotional image from Shrek after the first movie released, you know that Fiona turns into an ogre. Yeah, that's fair. They're like, oh, I didn't. Spoilers. Look, for that specific scene, right? Like, it, well, right now I just had a separate question that popped up. 
but I'll cut, get to that later. Like you can see there, right? Like we we know because you said to me that at some point they go and visit her parents. She's got parents. Why was she locked up in that castle alone? Because she was too ugly to be around. As a child, they locked her away because she was too. So the idea that she is wrapped up in aesthetics and like what things are supposed to be like is a trauma. Like it's a trauma. Yeah. Like if if you're not if you don't do this right, if you don't rescue me right, if you don't kiss me right, if you if you're not a dashing pre prince, if you don't have a horse, then like I can't be safe. No like, one, no one to, will love me. Nobody will love me. I'm losing the chance at being loved, and I'm losing the chance at being reunited with my family or anything. Like I cannot be seen. I cannot be a part of society until. So the the idea, right? Like that. Like it may when you like know that and you put that all together. At, at her after like a day, like being like. Yeah, that's how I feel listening to Shrek talk to Donkey. And like, is it okay to, but he is forming a genuine connect, connect, connection with that talking donkey. Maybe I, and to be able to like move even small out of there to like try, like that's a huge development. Like that's yeah. a big thing. That's not what the movie makes of it because that's not what this is, right? Fan fiction will probably beat <laughs> this to death. It'd be awesome. But like, that's such like, uh, when you really step back and think about what these characters are are going through, like that's so huge, right? Talking about like the layers of these layers. But uh, another unintentional thing that I, I realized upon listening to that clip right now, I've been as long been like this as long as I can remember. He like lists out the curse, and I'm like, mm, usually children are cursed because their parents did something. I, I'm pretty sure like a lot of this like backstory gets filled in in the second movie. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I, I'm not saying this stuff is explored. Yeah. But like, but, but like we know only bad parents send their children away because of a curse that was their doing. I'm talking, I'm looking at you Maleficent. Um, good movie, but like, you know, so it just like on top of that, like the idea psych psychologically, right. That none of it is her fault. But she's being punished yeah. by an outside source and by her, you know, like, yeah. and then her parents being like, well, I don't want to see my mistake. I'm perfect. Go away. You know? So yeah, this movie does a lot. And, and just like Shrek, like she's kind of reserved to this, like resigned, resigned. If, if I, if I'm this ugly ogre, I'm incomplete. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, I, I, you know, I, I need, she keeps like, you know, going over and over again in her head. It's like, I need a Prince Charming to come and kiss me. To make, you know, to make me a beautiful princess. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to be. It's like mm -hmm. there's a role I need to fill and, you know, I need it desperately. Where like, you know, Shrek is like, well, my role is to be an evil ogre that no one likes. It lives alone. Mm -hmm. And the whole like second act of the movie is them both realizing that, you know, hey, that you don't that role doesn't need to define you. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you you have more to offer. And uh, I, I think I think it's really, really strong uh sequence of events i feel like the yeah. the development shown between these characters is extremely effective mm -hmm. uh and and well done yeah and donkey is there well so here's another thing i think donkey does show a little bit of character development in this movie and i didn't really pay attention to it until this most recent viewing mm -hmm. so during the dragon escape sequence oh, yeah. uh drag <laughs> donkey and shrek get separated Right? Yes. Donkey has an encounter with the dragon. And it goes like this. Ah! Oh, what large teeth you have! I mean, I mean, I mean, white sparkling teeth. 
I know you probably hear this all the time from your food, but you must bleach or something, because that is one dazzling smile you got there. And do I detect a hint of minty freshness? And you know what else? You know what else? You're, you're a girl dragon. Oh, sure. I mean, of course you're a girl dragon, because you're just reeking of feminine beauty. Uh, of, what's the matter with you? You got something in your eye? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh. oh. Man, I'd really love to stay, but you know, I'm a, <coughs> I'm an asthmatic, and I don't know if it'll work out. You're gonna be blowing smoke rings and stuff. Try! This scene where he sounds most like Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. smoke rings and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but in that scene alone, you see Donkey, I have a preconceived notion about this dragon. You are yeah. a fearsome evil dragon that's gonna eat me. Yeah. I'm terrified. And then as he starts smooth talking, the dragon, you realize, oh, it's, it's a girl dragon. Yeah. And she's very flattered by your compliments. Yeah. And... That is another example of you're not judging the book by its cover. Yeah. Um, not not, not assuming gender. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, Donkey throughout the rest of the movie, I think, is, like, low-key. It's not really drawn out that much, but there's a little bit of it where he is wrestling with this fact where it's like, wow, okay, this, do this dragon, like, is in love with me. Mm -hmm. And I feel really bad for leaving her tied up at this castle, you know, alone. Uh, but it will it, never work between us. It, it can never work. Yeah. It's... It's just, you know, it's impossible. Impossible. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's just, it, 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 we, we, we can never have a relationship together. And then there's the crucial, you know, end of act two, everyone's down and out. You know, there's a huge misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. All three of the main cast feel like, well, you know, the, you know, may, maybe we should just, you know, be resigned and, and live the role we were meant to live, you know, as laid out by <laughs> Disney nature. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> Um, and they all kind of go their separate ways and they're all like sad because they're like, you know, like Fiona's like, fine, I'll marry Farquaad. And yeah. She's miserable. Shrek is alone is after connecting with with Fiona and is like, well, I'm, I'm just all alone and he's miserable. And then mm -hmm. there's a small scene where Donkey is sitting all by himself next to a river and he looks up and sees the dragon who is very sad. Mm -hmm. And I think Donkey's the first character to say, no, I'm going to embrace the <laughs> unnatural. <laughs> You know, the unconventional. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to try to make this work. Me and this dragon. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah. We're going to go for this. You yeah. Know, as, as weird as it is, you know, it's it's unconventional. It's out of the ordinary. But I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And they, they have babies. Yeah. They're, they're dragon donkey babies in the in one of those movies. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think we don't have to go too far into the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. I I. I like if I already said it, it's like I recommend the movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, go go watch the movie. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it with some of these other ideas in mind. You know. Yeah. See the how the movie takes down Disney. See how the movie addresses you know onions, developed characters, you know yeah. complex mm -hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. Do it. It's it's much more sophisticated than people give it credit for. I oh think. yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's a dumb movie with fart and belches and you know uh, boogers, but I think it's uh, it it is smarter than it lets on. Yeah. And also it's it's Shrek. It's Shrek. <laughs> so, that is that. What did the world think? Oh. Shrek was a box office smash. Mouth. Get out of here. Grossing over $487 million worldwide, becoming the fourth highest grossing film of 2001. It's pretty Dang. good. That is really good. Um, the film was also a hit on video and DVD. It oh. surpassed Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace's record for becoming the fastest selling DVD ever selling 2.5 million copies within the first three days of release. Whoa. Another 4.5 million copies were sold on VHS in the, in the same time span, making it the biggest opening weekend in retail video 
since The Lion King in 1995. Whoa. It also outperformed Disney and Pixar's Monsters, Inc., which released on video and DVD the same day. (laughs) I don't know whose idea that was, but I'm pretty sure it was Katzenberg. (laughs) (laughs) They're They're going to DVD. So are we. So are we. Shrek was widely praised by critics who noted its animation, voice performances, soundtrack, writing, and humor. The New York Daily News, for example, said, quote, The brilliance of the voice work, script, direction, and animation all served to make Shrek an adorable, infectious work of true sophistication. Okay. Mixes the lowbrow with the highbrow. Yeah. (laughs) The Detroit News called the film, quote, Swift, sweet, irreverent, rangy, and as spirited in the writing and voice work as it is splendid in design. And the New York Observer wrote, quote, What gives Shrek its special artistic distinction is its witty and knowingly sassy dialogue delivered by vocally charismatic performers whose voices remind us of their stellar screen persona in live action movies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Particular praise went to Shrek's appeal to both children and adults. Newsweek, for example, called it, quote, The kind of movie that will entertain everyone of every age and probably for ages to come. (laughs) Very prescient. Uh, You knew what you were talking about. (laughs) The Denver Post wrote, quote, DreamWorks Pictures again proves a name to trust for imaginative, funny animated movies that delight kids and adults equally. In a more subdued review, the Seattle Times said, quote, the film is helped immensely by its cast who carry it through some of the early sluggish scenes. But this is Murphy's movie. Donkey gets most of the good lines and Murphy hits everyone. I mean, fair. Yep. On the negative side of things, the Village Voices reviewer said, quote, The movie is wall-to-window to door noise, babbling and jokes. The first minute sees the first fart gag. And demographically, it's a hard sell shotgun spray. Okay. And he wasn't he wasn't a fan of the not at all. The millennial energy <laughs> of this one. And the New Yorker said, quote, There's still something flat and charmless in the digital look, and most of the pleasure rises not from the main romance, but the from the quick incidental gags. That's fair. Hmm. I can see that. William Steig, the author of the original book, enjoyed the film. His wife Jan stated, quote, We all went sort of expecting to hate it, thinking, what has Hollywood done to it? <laughs> but we loved it. We were afraid it would be too sickingly cute, and instead Bill just thought they did a wonderful, witty job of it. So that's nice. That is nice. They were expecting going in to say, what have they done to you, Calvin, yeah. my boy? <laughs> Let's talk awards. Shrek premiered at the 2001 Cannes Film Festival Whoa. where it competed for the Palme d'Or. Whoa. Palme d'Or is the, the the movie award of all movie awards. Yeah. It's like the finest film ever kind of thing. Like if you show up at at, uh, at, at Cannes and you're in contention for the Palme d'Or, it's like you're one of the like top films. Yeah. Uh, it, it became the first animated film since Disney's Peter Pan in 1953 to be chosen to do so. That was probably a feather in Katzenberg's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shrek won the first ever Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Oh, wow. And it was a, and it was also the first animated film to be nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay. Shrek was nominated for six BAFTA Awards, including the BAFTA Award for Best Film. It went on to win the BAFTA Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Also interesting... Eddie Murphy became the first actor ever to receive a BAFTA nomination for a voiceover performance. Huh. Go on, Murph. Shrek won eight Annie Awards, including the Best Animated Feature and Outstanding Individual Achievement for Direction in an Animated Feature Production. In 2010, Shrek was awarded his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's dumb, but all right. (laughs) And in 2020, 
Shrek was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress and was selected per- for preservation in the National Film Registry. Whoa. So, yes. But all right. But not wrong. Not even a little bit wrong. Yeah. Shrek, Shrek was a big hitter. And uh, we're going to talk legacy. But before we get into the Shrek franchise proper, we need to talk about a few things that I... It, we we and I have both talked about this. Like, the waves that it made in yes, the children's industry. It is credited as a few things. It's cre- uh, People credit Shrek for the celebrification of animated feature films and the pop culturefication of animated feature films. Yeah. So I actually have a few examples of that if we want to talk about it. But one, celebrification. Mm-hmm. Now, everything we talk about here can also be applied to Disney's Aladdin with Robin yes. Williams in a way. But I think that was an anomaly mm-hmm. in 1992. Shrek made it... The standard. Yeah, like Shrek basically made it the norm Yeah, to market your animated movies, not on the story, not on the studio, but on the stars attached to it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when, when they market Shrek, it's like Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, you know, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it just became a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Disney, like lately, Disney's kind of gone back to, yeah, we're marketing based on our name, mm-hmm. Disney, and like kind of the story. Like, I feel like you didn't really see like the cast of Coco yeah. or or uh, Moana. Yeah. Or what was the one that just came uh The one that just came out? Turning Red? No, Bruno. Oh, uh, Encanto? Encanto, right. You didn't really see the cast too much. Yeah. Maybe Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I honestly didn't even re- until we were watching it. I was like, this sounds like a, a Miranda beat. But <laughs> every other animated feature, like a studio. Yeah. Markets based on their cast. Yes. Uh, Illumination does it with their Minions movies. You know. mm, yeah. Uh, uh, who's the dude from 40-year-old version? Oh, Steve Carell. You yeah. know, like th- that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like John Heater, you know. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, just it's it's so blatant. It's like pulled back a little bit more, but maybe not. We just don't watch previews or TV. Yeah, but I feel like all trailers, it's all about the cast. Yeah. You see it, even in like freaking like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, they were like, you know, naming the cast above the character Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm, you know? Yeah. Or um, the Angry Birds movie that we watched. Oof. It was all about the cast. You know, it's like uh, Josh Gad. <laughs> It was not a good movie, kids. That movie sucks. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm thinking like Shark Tale. Yeah. A few years after this, you know, that movie wasn't marketed as a, oh, it's, you know, it's a DreamWorks movie with fish. It's like, no, this movie, it, it's a Will, Will Smith, Smith movie, movie with Angelina Jolie yeah. and Robert De Niro. Yep. Yep. And, and Sh- that was Shrek's fault. <laughs> Thanks, Shrek. And then, of course, we also have the pop culturefication of, of animated movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, pop culture references abound. Yeah. In Shrek... They're a little bit more subdued compared to even future Shrek movies, mm-hmm. but they're still there in their novel. And I know we had a few pop culture references in Aladdin and you see them every so often in other animated movies, but Shrek made it like a, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so in Shrek alone, there's a lot of pop music. Mm-hmm. Like we played the freaking Smash Mouth song and then Donkey will just sing pops music. Yeah. You know, On the road again. Yep. I'll tell you why. Cause I'm all alone There's no one here beside me 
my problems have all gone. There's no one to deride me. But you gotta have friends. Stop <laughs> The music swell is the best part of that clip. Because even the score gets involved. He's singing a Bette Midler song. Yeah. You know, so like in Shrek's world, like Donkey might be the only one who's aware of Bette Midler, <laughs> you know? So he's singing like songs that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, there's there's like, there's a whole action sequence early in the movie where Shrek becomes the champion uh, in, yeah. in Duloc. Mm -hmm. It's a full on wrestling parody. Yeah. Professional wrestling was at its height in around 2001. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. Basically, the height yeah. of the industry, 2001. So if you even had wrestling, you know, with the ring and the bell, mm -hmm. tag team. It's all there. Specific moves that we called out. Yep. Uh, there is a, there's an action scene in the second act where Fiona does Kung Fu. Yeah. And they parody the Matrix. They do. <laughs> they do the Trinity, jump up in the air, the camera like. Pans all the way around yep, while she's frozen. Yep. It is. You didn't see that very yeah. often. Especially like. The Matrix had just come out. Mm -hmm. You know, they were referencing The Matrix two years after The Matrix came out. You're like, oh, put that in. That'll be fun. Yeah. The kids will get it. If not, the parents definitely will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some of that stuff ages the movie, mm -hmm. you know? And I think animated movies after this leaned on it so hard that the, the pop culture references completely aged the movie. Yeah. Like, Shrek 2 has, like, a Lord of the Rings parody. <laughs> an Amer like I mentioned, the American Idol parody. Oh, yeah. It's like all this stuff. It, they have a Justin Timberlake of like cameo hmm. yeah so it becomes a crutch yeah yeah where yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a crowd pleaser when the movie comes out but then you know years down the line people are just gonna cringe yeah these bad pop culture references yeah i can think about like movies that we've watched from the 80s or something and they'd like say a line and i'm like i don't know i don't get it and you're like they're referencing like a tv from the 50s and i'm like Okay, what? The, it's just going to be, it, it's, it's really flat and it's dated and it's just like, yeah. that has no meaning to me. It's a line that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And and animated movies like really leaned on this yeah. the past 20 Decade. years. Yeah. Like really hard. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think like the Minions movies do it a lot. Yeah. Like what's that crappy movie Sing had a lot of like just pop culture references and just like wall to wall pop songs. Yeah. It was a karaoke musical. Yeah. Um. Jimmy Neutron? Yeah, stuff like that. Like like Nickelodeon's animated output for a long time was just all pop songs. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I was like, that, that stuff I could do without, you know? Make the movie timeless. <laughs> anyway, th thanks, Shrek. <laughs> the one thing he's thanking you for, not not seriously. Very sarcastic. Yeah. Ugh. It's like, it's it's not Shrek's fault. It's everyone who wanted to chase the trend of Shrek. You know Shrek what I mean? just did a thing. Yeah. Shrek is fine that's, on its own. That's not the thing that made the movie billable, but that's the thing that other companies and even Shrek. No, itself, no, no, no. The, they, the, they leaned like DreamWorks totally leaned into it. Yes. But like the first one, right? Like that's yeah. not what made it the good movie. Right. But moving forward, the that machine. was like the only thing they took as like, oh, but we can reproduce this. Yeah. I'm like thinking like DreamWorks seemed like to be like the most guilty of this moving forward mm -hmm. right yeah. Shrek 2 I've already talked about like Shark Tale has like you know at the car wash oh, oh, oh you know oh, oh. Um, Madagascar had a bunch of pop music in it yeah you know and, and the Minions is the other one yeah it's just a lot of pop music uh yeah so <laughs> anyway Shrek's legacy is a lot a lot of that 
Uh, Shrek was the subject of a large marketing push, including tie-ins at Baskin Robbins and Burger King. I specifically remember going. I, I we went to Burger King a lot around this time. It was my mm-hmm. favorite. I love I love Burger King. They're not the same as they used to be. I <laughs> say that, but I would get the kids' meal, and they had like this was back when they used to sell like slushies. Mm-hmm. It was like a like a slushy with ice cream in it. Okay. Yeah, imagine like a slushy you get from Seven Eleven. I think it can, but with vanilla ice cream it. in it too. Yeah. And they had like a green one that was for Shrek. Ah. I remember getting that a bunch <laughs> at, around the time this movie came out. Cute. I remember Baskin Robin had like, you know, Shrek themed cakes, Ooh. swamp cakes. Yeah. Can I get a swamp cake for my birthday? Uh, we'll see. That'd be really expensive. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the VHS DVD release of Shrek included a three minute musical short film titled Shrek in the Swamp Karaoke Dance Party. That doesn't sound fun. Which features the film's characters performing a medley of modern pop songs. So they leaned into it hard. Yep. Shrek has spawned three theatrical sequels. You got Shrek 2, 2004, Shrek the Third in 2007, and Shrek Forever After in 2010, as well as two spinoff films, Puss in Boots, 2011, mm-hmm. and the upcoming Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh, I did see a poster for something like that. Yeah, Puss in Boots was like a breakout star for the Shrek series. Antonio Banderas. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I've only I've seen Shrek two a bunch, you know, and I remember, remember liking it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't hold up as well as this first Shrek movie does. And I saw Shrek the third one time, and it was horrible. <laughs> horrible. Horrible. I've never seen anything more than just it's the like, one. Shrek teaching young King Arthur to get his groove back or something. Where did his groove go? He, I don't know. He's in high school. It's like a high school parody. Uh, so I had a bunch of like high school references and making fun of like Revenge of the Nerds and stuff. Yeah, no, no, not for me. There have been three Shrek television specials. You got Shrek the Halls in 2007. Scared Shrekless in 2010. Oh, is it a Halloween one? Mm-hmm. We'll go and, ahead and do that for our spe- Halloween special. And Puss in Boots trapped in an epic tale in 2017. Important question. How do they spell tale? Oh, w- w- the, the the story way. Okay. Not, not like, you know, not like his tale. <laughs> no. In addition to Karaoke Dance Party, there have been seven Shrek short films. Ooh. The Universal Studios attraction and DVD featurette Shrek 40, 2003. I, I've seen, we, I saw the show for that one. Because you, you go to Universal Studios, you sit down, and it's like a 40 uh, 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 sh- stage show. Yeah, you know, where they, they yeah, put like, swamp water on you. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, Donkey will look in the camera and sneeze, and they'll spray water Ew. at you. Yeah, stuff like that, you know. And then they re-released that as its own little DVD featurette that you could buy. If you, I, I, we, we had it. So it was like a three-disc set. You could huh. buy Shrek 1, Shrek 2, and this special featurette mm-hmm. DVD. It was on its own DVD. Did you uh, watch it and have your sister spray water on you? No. <laughs> you got the Shrek 2 DVD featurette, Far, Far Away Idol, 2004. That was the American Idol parody. No. The Shrek Forever After DVD featurettes, Donkey's Christmas Shrektacular, and Shrek's Yule Log in 2010. They're really reaching for these titles. The Scared Shrekless DVD featurette Thriller Night in 2011. Mm. So it's a featurette for a DVD of a Shrek TV movie. Parroting Michael Jackson. The Nintendo 3DS video exclusive The Pig Who Cried Werewolf in 2011. Wow. A Shrek short released directly to the Nintendo 3DS video video eShop. Wow. (laughs) 
and the Puss in Boots DVD featurette, Puss in Boots, The Three Diablos in 2012. I It had legs. Yeah. They, 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 it they, still has legs because we got another one coming out this year. They squeezed Shrek dry. Ugh, not a lump left. And speaking of Puss in Boots, the character starred in his own Netflix television series from 2015 to 2018. It's 2D, 2D animated. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Shrek has also been adapted into comic books. Oh. In 2003, Dark Horse Comics published three full-color Shrek comic books. And from 2010 to 2011, Ape Entertainment published its own series of Shrek comics. Okay. There have been a handful of Shrek amusement park attractions around the world. Far, far away is a themed land in Universal Studios Singapore, and it consists of many locations from the Shrek franchise. Shrek's Fair, Fair Away is an area at the DreamWorks Experience-themed land at Australian theme park DreamWorld. Whoa. The DreamWorks Tours Shrek's Adventure London Midway attraction is hosted at London County Hall. Dang. And multiple Shrek water attractions have opened at DreamWorks Water Park in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I That's, that's so much. Like, I didn't know even a quarter of that. Like... There have been countless Shrek video games with at least four coming out of this first film alone. You got Shrek, Shrek Hassle in the Castle, Shrek Extra Large, and Shrek Super Party. I hate all of those. And I believe each one has its own dedicated fart button. Oh my god. At least at least two of those have a, a dedicated fart button. Wow. For sure. No. Uh, Shrek also appeared as a guest character in Tony Hawk's Underground 2. What? So if you want to play a game where you can play as both Shrek and Steve-O... I don't. Tony Tony Hawk's <laughs> Underground 2. <laughs> oh, man. 2008 saw the debut of Shrek the Musical, a Tony Award-winning production based on the first film. Shrek's, Shrek could be on his way to an EGOT. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. Here's a fun one. One you can speak towards. 2018 saw the release of Shrek Retold, Ugh. a shot-for-shot fan remake of the first film, which mixes live-action, hand-drawn animation, Flash animation, CGI, and other various forms, and various other art forms to recreate the film with over 200 artists contributing. Look, kids, the first time we watched Three Shrek um, for this thing, I was done because I am not a fan of Shrek. I don't think it's terrible, but I'm just like, I, I wouldn't choose to watch this. I'm not, I don't want. And then we spent an additional hour and a half watching. Shrek retold, which is a shot for shot remake. Nope, he's not. He's not joking. In, in, in the most like millennial way, it's like a mix of like you know, uh, edge lord meme, like oh animation. Gosh. You know, like YouTube poop style. Some of it's very sophisticated, beautiful artwork. There's Some of it's straight up anime. I would watch. Some yeah. of it is. Cartoons drawn and hung on someone's fridge by their three-year-old. Yeah, and some of it is just a like gorgeously shot live-action sequence with just human characters acting out the scene. Yeah, it's wild. It's yeah. I'm never gonna watch it again. But I definitely think like if you have to choose between watching Shrek or Shrek Retold, watch Shrek Retold. Yeah, but there's Shrek a a rap breakdown. Shrek Retold is available on YouTube for free right now. True. And a fifth Shrek film is currently in development with a script reportedly already completed. Whoa. Yep. And where did the folks behind Shrek go from here? Well, co-director Andrew Adamson went on to direct Shrek 2 for DreamWorks in the first two Chronicles of Narnia movies. Oh, yeah. are there more than two? Yeah, I think so. I oh. think there are at least three. Well, 
His last two directorial efforts came in 2012 with the films Mr. Pip and Cirque du Soleil Worlds Away. Okay. Co-director Vicky Jensen, meanwhile, went on to direct Shark Tale for DreamWorks, mm. the 2009 live-action film Post-Grad, and a 2015 stage play called Time Stands Still. She is currently directing an upcoming animated fantasy film called Spellbound for Skydance Animation, which will feature songs written by Disney legend Alan Menken. Cool. Yeah, the Aladdin, yes. Beauty and the Beast guy. And Petty A-hole Jeffy Katzenberg uh. stuck with DreamWorks until 2016, overseeing its biggest franchises like Shrek, Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, and How to Train Your Dragon, mm. and stepped away from the company after it was acquired by NBC Universal. Okay. He has since co-founded the media investment company Wonderco and the failed streaming platform Quibi. Ha. Oh, Quibi. Yeah, failed from the start, Quibi. And that's Shrek. That's, that's everything. Shrek. That is, we did it. That is nearing the end of our show. Oh, yeah. So next up on the agenda, I believe, is Runners Up. It is. I totally forgot that we were doing this. Well, not that I didn't enjoy this. Did you? Um, it was. It was. It was enjoyable. Yeah, it was this is fun. a good conversation we've had. Both yeah. both films. I feel like we grew in appreciation for both movies. I agree. In discussing them. I agree. But if we weren't watching Trek for you, we could have been watching Atlantis. Okay. I uh, Disney, an ambitious Disney story, mm -hmm. original, not based on anything. Failed hard. Yes, it did. And you watch it, and you're like, yeah, I really appreciate the ambition of this movie mm -hmm. and the world building. Uh, it, it does fall short of yeah. its ambition unfortunately it does yeah so i remember watching that movie if you know quite a few times on i i think that was vhs at that point you know yeah we didn't have a dvd player yet but uh you know i, was, I remember liking it all right yeah we also could have been watching asmosis jones that was a movie i watched a lot on cartoon network <laughs> and in bio I think every biology class I ever took. Yeah, played it at least yeah, once. Yeah, middle school, high school, every biology class we watched Osmosis Jones. Yeah. yeah. Like, you haven't seen this, right, kids? Like, I had this, I, I took this class with you last year. Yes, I've seen it. <laughs> um, we also could have been possibly watching Harry Potter, which I don't believe because you really didn't watch so it. So I, I watched the first Harry Potter movie, like, in the theater when it came out. Mm -hmm. We had it on DVD. My mm -hmm. friend Steven got it on DVD. That was another one of, like, the first DVD experiences I had. Uh, because they hid the special features for Harry Potter behind like a like secret menu. Mm. Like there was like a secret menu. It showed the the brick wall in the first movie. Yeah. And you had to click on the bricks in the right order mm -hmm. to get to the secret menu to watch the deleted scenes. <laughs> you know, that was when they were trying to do interesting things with DVD menus. Yeah. Before they were just like, people don't want this. They just want to watch the special yeah. features. Uh, so it's like I, I've seen the first movie quite a lot, okay. like more than the other ones. Like I, I think I've seen like Goblet of Fire like one time. <laughs> You've never seen all of them. No, I have sure. not seen all of them. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. But the first one, I, you know, I watched it a great. OK, you know, good deal. Well, we also could have been watching Monsters, Inc., the other yep. monster movie. Yep. And I saw year. that movie a lot. Yeah. 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 It was so, funny. Saw that one in the, the theater. My friend Michael's birthday. I remember that. It was his birthday. Cute. Yeah. And we could have been watching the movie that I would have thought was your movie of the year. What is it? Oceans. Oceans 11? Yeah. Okay. Well, Oceans 11, because Shrek was a childhood, yeah, childhood movie. Yeah. And everyone loves Shrek. Watched yeah. it everywhere. Watched it in class. Like, Oceans 11, I enjoy the most probably from that. That yeah. slate of movies, that's the one I enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. 
but it's like I we, we can't outpass Shrek. Yeah, it's like we never owned it. We rented it a few times. It's a movie that my dad enjoys and my mom, mm-hmm. and we would watch it on TV. Whenever yeah. it was on cable, we'd watch it. But it can't compete with Shrek. I totally get it. Like but I was just like, oh, Ocean's on this. List. I really like those Ocean's movies with, uh, with George Clooney. Except you don't for like the, Twelve. Except for Ocean's Twelve, <laughs> which it's like I looked the first half of it. I guess. Yeah. You know, the, Julia Roberts playing a character that looks like Julia Roberts doesn't it's work. Gag. It's not a fun gag. It sucks. <laughs> uh, but Ocean's, the Ocean series, I think is, you know, it's good. Yeah. For me, if we weren't watching Life as a House, we would have watched, literally, I'm looking at my list. This is the only sad one. What is I mean, it? the other ones have like, like no, Life of the Ho- as a House is the only sad movie on the oh, list okay. of movies we could have. I was going to say, how many, hard, have, like, how many hard R's you got? They've got like... Like dips that are like, oh, that's oh, that was a little sad, but they're not like we could have been watching Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, you made me watch that recently. I, I actually really liked that. Yeah, movie. I know. Yeah, that movie's you fun. Turned to me and you were like, "Why is Life as a House your movie? You were twelve. Why is this not your movie?" Uh, Josie and the Pussycats. Anyone, if you want to see two thousand one, the movie, <laughs> it's Josie and the Pussycat. It, yeah, it's like that movie couldn't have come out anywhere else but the early two thousands. Yeah, like the look. The feel, the music, yeah. everything about it is so 2001. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Pre 9 11, 2001. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we could have been watching Head Over Heels, which is a movie I watch way too often, which is, uh, it has Freddy Krueger, Freddy Prince Jr. in it. And it's just about like, um, a woman, I think she broke up with her boyfriend or something. She was, she lives in New York. She's looking for housing and she ends up uh, paying partial rent to move in with like six models. And they're like gorgeous, tall, blah, blah, blah. And there's, they like stare across the way and there's an open window and there's like a dude who lives there and they like watch him and it looks like he's a murderer and he's like murdering people. Oh. And they're like trying to figure like, oh my this gosh. This took a turn. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, oh no, what do we do? And it's a jokey, but it's a jokey thing. And then like she... Well, okay, because they watch him a bunch and then the main character accidentally like runs into him and they like flirt and they hit it off and it's so great. And then like the next night they were watching like, oh, I feel weird watching him now. And then it looks like he murdered someone. They're like, ah, but I was supposed to go on a date with him. And it's fun. Okay. okay. It's silly. Freddie Prince Jr. was at the height of his powers. He was. time period. You know who else was at the height of his power? Heath Ledger in A Knight's Tale, which is another movie about music and people doing stuff like I, I i've never seen it i think i've seen like the opening scene where it's like they have like a queen song over a jousting match mm-hmm. or something it's a really good movie and it's got like a lot of heart and a lot of depth like it's also just like silly but there's a lot of like about kind of because it's about a man who's not of noble breeding so he can't be a knight and the most he can be is a page or a squire i feel like i i feel like we can do a movie night of like anachronistic uh like fantasy movies Mm -hmm. like you know medieval movies this one and dungeons and dragons and uh uh marie marie antoinette yes i've never seen that one with kirsten dunst yes that one just has a bunch of pop music in it uh marie antoinette wears converse shoes (laughs) that's so much fun put that on your list right after we're done recording will do um, so yeah, we could have been watching that. We could have been watching Bubble Boy, which is another movie you've never watched. We're going to watch that tonight. You love that movie. We're going to watch that tonight. We're going to watch it tonight. We're just going to put it on. It's stupid. It's dumb. Is that with, uh, with, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. I quote that movie a lot you got for the no two, reason. You got the two stars of Brokeback Mountain here. I your, do. That's true. That. Hey. 
But like the movie's so dumb and great. And it's like another one of those, like it rolls in. These are all like, except the movie that we watched, all of them have the same 2000s feel. Um, just like a little bit different, like localization. Uh, and the last movie we could have been watching kids, Spirited Away. Oh, that been, <laughs> I love that movie. I know, it's such a good movie. It's <laughs> it is wild that Shrek beats Spirited Away as the the first movie to win an Oscar for animated feature. Yeah, yeah I was like the same year. I, I'm like, I'm like objectively, I think Spirited Away is a better movie. Way better yeah, than Shrek. Shrek's great. Yeah, but, Shrek is good. Yeah, Spirited Away. I, th- I think Spirited Away got robbed. It indeed yeah. did. Monsters, Inc. I think Shrek's better than, like... Award-wise, fine. Yeah, but, like, yeah. I mean, I prefer... I think Monsters I prefer... Inc. Yeah, I was like... I'd, it's it's hard. It's hard to say. It's like, I can... I understand the argument that Shrek is better than Monsters, Inc. Spirited Away, I think, is just on another level. Absolutely. So... It's the spiritual. Yeah, Miyazaki's won his Oscars. So they're know. like, ah, eh, you don't need any more. Yeah, he's, he'll, he'll win plenty more, I'm but, sure. But my real thing is like, wait, Shrek went to Cannes when Spirited Away was here? Yeah, right. Mm. Some some movies just don't go to Cannes, like don't premiere at Cannes Film Festival. Right? Yeah. So it's like whatever's there. Yeah, I guess. But yeah. So the most important question, who had the better film? I did. No. I No. Like Shrek, Shrek no. is a better product. Incorrect. It's, it's... No, you're wrong. <laughs> Kids, side with me or you get no dessert. Shrek's solid. It. Like, it doesn't falter, really. Neither does mine. Yes, it does. You agreed with me. Life <laughs> as a House care. has too much baggage. I, 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 It's a tragedy, because that movie could have been great. But <laughs> listen, the fact that those dumb subplots are there bring the whole movie down, <laughs> and Shrek wins. Here's the thing. I don't, it's not that I don't want to fight you. Like, I know, it's not that I want to fight you. I understand a lot of this is nostalgia on my part, going like, mm. but like, I was never really a fan of Shrek. And I'm like, it's a movie. It's fine. It's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It, is it better technically? Yes, absolutely. You heard but it here as, first. But as a movie, I'm like, I don't enjoy it. Like, like I do the other movie. Like I enjoy life as a house. I don't, it doesn't bring, it doesn't spark joy. Well, and you it's said like, it's a technically better movie. So Shrek wins. <laughs> fine. You can have the star. Yeah. So thanks, Shrek. What's, <laughs> what's next on the agenda? Plugs? Plugs. All right. So if you like Media Maid. Pina Coladas. If you like Pina Coladas and getting caught in the rain, you can follow Media Maid on Twitter <laughs> and on Instagram. At Media Maid Show on both. <laughs> at Media Maid Show, we will post polls, mm-hmm. pictures, mm-hmm. videos, mm-hmm. maybe some fan art. Mm. Uh, you know, fun stuff. Yeah. All week long. So, you know, get your, we'll get your, uh, your Shrek fix. <laughs> Plenty of Shrek memes. I tell you, we'll be on Twitter. They never stop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they won't stop coming. And they won't stop coming. That being said, kids, hi. Google responsibly. Did you, not all Shrek stuff is good. Yeah. But <laughs> I will certainly share Shrek retold on Twitter. It's yeah. It's going to be there. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, you can do a f- few favors. You can uh, like the show on your podcast platform of choice. Leave a review. Mm-hmm. Five-star reviews are really nice. They are. Leaving words in that review is really nice. Ooh, I yeah, like yeah, those. Yeah, we like we like reviews that are written out, you know. <laughs> like it's it's easy to put five stars. You know, it's not so easy to, you know, leave some kind words to your pals here at Media Made. Mm-hmm. So yeah, do us a favor, do that. Yeah. Uh, help us out with engagement. Um hey, here's something new. We've started a, like we started this, 
just to see where it would go. But we have opened a Kofi, coffee account. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Buy me a coffee. <laughs> Buy me a coffee. No, that's a different thing. Oh. So there's it's a service. It's called Coffee. It is ko-fi.com. If you go to coffee.com, ko-fi/slash/media-made. Yes. So coffee.com/slash/media-made. It is ko-fi.com slash media made uh it's also on our link tree mm-hmm. like if you go to media made show on twitter and instagram look at the link tree you'll see a link to coffee it's also down in the description right now it's also in our description on your podcast platform of choice so if you want to help basically if you want to buy us a coffee and say hey thanks media made for making great a great episode this month uh you can drop us a few dollars on coffee Go straight to our bank account. Uh, it, it just it just helps us out, you know. Yeah. Make, make it, 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 at, at the very least, it brings us joy that you know our listeners are buying us coffees. So <laughs> we, yeah, if you want to support the show, you can do that. Drop us a coffee at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com/slash/mediamade. Yeah. So that's new. Um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Rod the Master. I retweet pictures of. Kirby and other things. <laughs> um, you can read my video game coverage at ZeldaDungeon.net. I uh, recently went to the Zelda, uh, Zelda Dungeon Marathon. You can go to like twitch.tv slash Zelda Dungeon and watch streams of me playing Zelda <laughs> games. Endlessly. Yeah. And needing a coffee. Yeah, I needed that coffee then. <laughs> uh, and you can watch my wrestling YouTube show, Keep Kayfabe, on YouTube. It's keep kayfabe. It's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We follow the careers and characters of our favorite wrestlers. So if you like wrestling as seen in Shrek, maybe you'll like keep kayfabe. <laughs> what do you got? You can find all those things on our link tree. We have links. So if you uh, follow the link in the description box that you're at, you can find all of the extra stuff that we have going on. On that, you might, uh, you'll definitely find the link to keep kayfabe. And uh, you might also find a link to my YouTube channel, which... Still doesn't have new things up, but I'm working on it. I'm hoping to have at least one video up by the end of this month, being August. Uh, and I'm just working on a lot of other things. Some other thing that YouTube channel is Taming Tales. Taming Tales. On YouTube. Um, so the, also, which, which tale? Which tale? The one about stories. All right. Uh, also, in other news, Big I news. Uh, wrote a book and I published it. Yay. It's called The Process and you can purchase it on Amazon if you would like to. It is available for both e-reading, Kindle, um and physical copy. I I you you know what? Do what you would like. I will not be offended if you get the ebook because it is far cheaper. I would have only gotten the ebook. But um if you want to hear how I tell a story uh or anything else like it, it's there. I I'd like you to purchase it if you'd like it. Uh, and if you have Reddit, please leave me a review, even if it's a bad review, if you didn't like it. I would like stars and reviews. Um, Reddit? Please, read it. Read, oh, oh, read, yeah. the, read the book. Got it. <laughs> oh, yeah, so uh, that is The Process by J.B. Hatcher. Oh, yeah, that's my pen name. J.B. Hatcher. You're really good at catching these things. But, uh, yeah, that's what we got going on. Yep. So that is the end of our show. And uh, we're going to close out with something a little special. So at the end of Should Shrek... I be worried? Oh, no. <laughs> at the end of Shrek Retold, uh, they obviously they need to have the song I'm a Believer by mm-hmm. the Monkees, right? Because that's in the original movie. But they got a cover from one of my favorite comedy musicians on YouTube. 
Hot Dad. Yeah, hot love dad. Hot Dad. If you if you want to you want to laugh, go to YouTube. <laughs> go go find Hot Dad on YouTube. He's got great music, fun stuff. He 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 rewrites television themes, wrestler themes. He just has funny music and funny songs. They got him to perform "I'm a Believer" by the Monkees in his own special synthwave style. So we're gonna close out with "I'm a Believer" by Hot Dad, and uh, that's the end of things. So we will see you all next time with our music of 2001. And remember, kids, if you hate the house you grew up in, you can always move to a magical swamp. Bye.